Happy March, Untitled Beetle Buddies. It's producer Casey. As the guys and I get ready to crown the long-debated sixth member of the Fab Four, we thought it might be a good idea to revisit March 2022 when TJ and Tony studiously and soberly appointed the official Fab Fifth. You know, just to give folks a chance to catch up and refresh their memories. We hope you will enjoy this super rerun edition of our fifth Beatle Madness, now available in a single episode encompassing parts one and two. If you'd like to download your own fifth Beatle bracket to follow along at home, or even a sixth Beatle bracket to prepare for next week, head over to untitledbeatlespodcast.com slash bracket where you can find them both. And now, without further ado, it's time for Tip Off! Please enjoy our 2022 hardwood classic, the Untitled Beatles podcast, Fifth Beatle Madness. Are we all? All right. Well, all three of us are rolling. Fifth Beatle, March Madness, 2022. Slate, take one. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles podcast. Ah, oh, spring is here, TJ. It's March. I'm loving all the blooming going on, all the, the blooming onions. Have you had your March blooming onion yet? We are at Outback Steakhouse every Tuesday night for blooming onion Tuesdays. <laughs> it's something we created in our family to honor the blooming onion. You know, Chicago is is Native American for blooming onion. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. <laughs> didn't know that yep carl sandberg <laughs> told me <laughs> well uh welcome to the untitled beatles podcast my name is tony mendoza and this week i'm tj shanoff and it's great to be with you tony yeah man do you have march madness march madness is in full swing right now all, everyone's betting. It's a whole thing. So many. Remember a couple of years ago when 64 teams wasn't enough. They had two other play-in games, I think. Yeah. Uh, I am, in fair, full disclosure, way more of a pro basketball guy than a college. I think some of that's just growing up in the city. With all due sure. respect to Northwestern's uh, men's hoops, DePaul was really good when I was growing up. Um, Loyola Lesso Northwestern has always been speaking of Northwestern. Shall we bring in our esteemed Northwestern alum? Producer Casey's with us today. Oh, hey there. I, yeah, thanks for bringing me in so you can dunk on my shitty college basketball team. Someone's got a dunk if we're talking Northwestern, and it's not just when they play Michigan State. Um, <laughs> no, it, it is true. Like, I am, you know, growing up like you, Tony, in the age of Michael Jordan, I was way more of a pro basketball guy. The tournament is fun. Uh, I love upsets. Those 5-12 seeds, you always take the 12 when you're filling out your brackets. But, uh, no, I'm not paying much attention, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, I was. Because I, too, am not at, at all really into the NCAA basketball or anything like that. But, actually, I do remember... When the Tar Heels won, and I want to say was that was Jordan, right? Back in 82 or 3, whenever that was. 82, I think. Yeah, when Jordan won the national championship. Yeah, I was very that briefly. Jump shot. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, We I had a Nerf uh, basketball hoop in my uh, little bedroom in our apartment, and I replayed that moment often from jumping from my bed all the way and dunking it. That's not what he did, but 
There was no bed there, but <laughs> it wasn't like Elvis's last Why night. Why did Jordan dunk <laughs> over a bed? Wait, wait. I mean, I wasn't alive for the 82 championships. All right. Ooh. Run me through this again. Oh. So Jordan had a bed on the basketball court and he dunked off it? Is that how it works? <laughs> how it was in the 80s, millennial. People try to put us down. Just because we could get you know, we're talking a lot of 80s stuff. Let's talk Casey stuff. What's a millennial want to talk about? The the Romeo and Juliet remake. Oh, my God. The Boz Lerman. That soundtrack. Oh, my God. I love yeah. that cardigan. I saw that in the theater like six times with my girlfriend in eighth grade. Are you serious? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, Good for I you. think my first French kiss might have been after a screening of Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. So Good for you. you. Yeah, thanks. Now, wasn't that Claire Danes or something? Or what? Am I mixing that all really? up? Really? No, yeah. Claire Danes, Leo DiCaprio. Yeah? Okay. Only a millennial can call him Leo. <laughs> we call him Leo. He's the patron saint of our generation. <laughs> <laughs> I do love... I That movie popped in my mind because that Cardigan song, the uh, uh, Love Fool by the Cardigans, yeah. I think is my favorite song of the decade of the 1990s. I really wow. do. I love wow. We should do that bracket, your favorite, nine, maybe your favorite 90s one-hit wonder specific. That's what it is, because the yeah. Ben Folds catalog of the 90s is probably my favorite. But yeah. as, a, as a single, I love that tune. Yeah. Good tune. And every record they did, they covered a Black Sabbath song. The Cardigans? Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think they did wow. Sunday, uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. <laughs> I almost said Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Different group, different song. <laughs> Yeah, John and Yoko and you too. <laughs> and you too, yeah. Well, clearly, we have March Madness. So we thought today on the Untitled Beatles podcast, the three of us were going to get together and we were going to make a, a Beatle bracket for the title of 2022 Fifth Beatle. Oh, yeah. It's the only way you can do it. We have to get a definitive answer. You guys did your NME rankings of all the catalogs that so we now have. I'm sure that will change year over year, but we it have already the definitive has. ranking. How are you going to narrow down that fifth beetle? It's so controversial. You got to put them head to head. You got to seat them one to 32 and make them duke it out. It's true. We've got 32. Oh, does that mean Duke's going to win? Fuck. Oh. I don't win Coach K's <laughs> last year. I'm tired of Duke. And I'm, fuck you, Grayson Allen. You too, Christian Leitner. I like Brent Hill. Otherwise, can we all agree, fuck Dukies? We can. I guess. I, I don't follow. But yeah, sure. Yes. A <laughs> lemming, lemming off that. Trust us, Tony. The Duke was having problems with a message at the local baby. Well, I do have some March Madness little factoids to share with y'all if you don't Ooh, if you don't mind please march madness the term was coined by brent musburger back in 1982 there was an auto dealer in chicago when i worked locally at bbm and he called the state high school tournament in illinois march madness okay a lawsuit broke out <laughs> uh the ncaa went to copyright it and i said listen you don't want me to testify because you guys need to make a settlement uh, I took that from the State High School Association, and they did. The NCAA made a settlement with the State High School Association in Illinois, and now March Madness uh, definitely belongs to the uh, to the college guys. Remember him? Sure. He's still alive, right? Or is Brent Musburger dead? I think he's alive. No, he's still he's around. alive? 
I think he's he works on that Vegas sports network. Yes, that the a lot BSN. of like Chicago folks have gone over to work on. Yeah, oh. the new sports radio is the gambling network. It's true. This is Vsin, the sports betting network. No bottom seed has ever unseated a top seed in the first round. So I wonder. Wonder if that'll happen uh, here on the UBP today. I wonder. That can't be true. Is that I, true? I read it, and it, the article was dated January of 2022. I thought that happened recently, but I could be hallucinating. Well, buzz me if I'm wrong. Stop. Correction. Just to clarify, I am no college basketball expert, but my quick Google does say that in 2018, the for the first time ever, UMBC became the first 16 seed to upset a one seed. Okay. <laughs> What's UMBC? U- University of United Maryland. Methodist uh, Bethlehem uh, Christians? That's them. <laughs> they beat Virginia. They became an overnight sensation, says the oh. NCAA. So. They, it's a real Cinderella story, they say. I don't want to spoil the seeding, but I think in our first Beatles bracket, there's a chance the one seed could go down in the first round. I think I know what you're I know what you're getting at, Casey, and I, I can't three wait. Three chances, Casey. Three chances. <laughs> <laughs> See how drunk I get as we keep recording. I had a drink or two and I don't care. Okay, a couple more facts. If games were 50-50 proposition, the chances of a bracket being perfect are one in nine point two quintillion. Whoa. Yeah. That's why I think like every year there's never a person who gets the entire bracket right. Right. Is that, am I making that up? I don't know anything about sports. Barb from accounting does pretty well. Yeah. Every year. Well, that's because her last name is Quintillion. It's all, everything's rigged, man. You know what's unfortunate is Barb wears that big Q t-shirt. <laughs> that's what the Q oh, family for. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got the inside scoop. Without a cue, I had lost you. As if I never knew your name. Uh, lastly, employers have also noticed a change in the behavior of employees during this time. They've seen an increase in the number of sick days used, extended lunch breaks, and even the rescheduling of conference calls to allow for more tournament watching. There you go. I buy that. Why are you reading like a drama teacher? <laughs> it's a schedule. I went to the CBS School of Broadcasting, TJ. This is CBS. CBS? <laughs> CBS. Yeah, I have, to, I have to read out those long receipts. <laughs> it takes me an hour, man. <laughs> now, at the end of our Beatle March Madness, whoever wins and is crowned, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Fifth Beatle will have a, a bronzed, Kaiser Keller toilet seat placed around their neck. That's right. To be paraded around the neighborhood. Honoring John. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So March Madness. So should we talk about the brackets? We've got 32 fifth Beatles in competition for role of 2022 fifth Beatle. That's right. And for folks who, uh, if you haven't already filled out your own bracket, pause the podcast now, go to our website and or our Facebook page, you'll be able to download the bracket. Um, you can see all 32 fifth beetle candidates in order and paired up and you can fill out your own. You have a one in 
I think it's not a quintillion. I think it's like one in two trillion chance of getting this one correct. Whoa. What do we give one of our fan winners if they get it, it right? We, I, think, uh, uh, I think we're going to have an FNT of that Kaiser Keller toilet seat. Yes. <laughs> I think you meant an NFT. No, it's a fucking non-tangible token, man. (laughs) Fucking. (laughs) Or as an alternate, they could get TJ's spot on the show. Yeah, somebody can take over for me. (laughs) (laughs) The second, the the fifth Beatle bracket winner becomes the second Untitled Beatles podcast host. And TJ gets relegated to third host. That's fine. And then I'm going to leave a negative iTunes review about Tony's (laughs) politics. (laughs) I don't have to explain myself to you. I don't give two fucks about your review. Okay, well, all right. I'll take that. Uh, I guess I am the one who ended up sort of organizing the brackets. You did. Yes, so I'm going to take the heat. So send all your angry letters about why isn't Tony Barrow on there or any, you know, how come this? Hey, I'll tell you what. If I left someone off, I heard you. And when we do it in 2023, maybe they'll be on that list. But uh, yeah, I tried to I tried to put like the big four in the first bracket. I tried to put like early people, like close people in the second bracket. Third bracket was like people who've played on their records. Uh, Fourth bracket was kind of we're getting into the film world and the producer world. Fifth bracket is like sit in people that sessioned with them. Sixth bracket are uh, again more like authors and uh, producers and DJs like Cavern Club people. Seventh bracket, we're getting out there with just kind of peripheral goofs. And our eighth bracket is just kind of a uh, a hodgepodge of... A Chris hodgepodge. A <laughs> Chris hodge. UFO-laden podge. Hurricanes of thunder. Spaceships on the So I'm the one who made all those brackets, you know, so I don't know. TJ, are those brackets okay with you or did I leave someone off? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, yeah. here's the thing, because I did no work. I cannot complain. Tony and Casey, as always, <laughs> did all the work. I complained about being busy and did nothing and showed up ill-prepared. <laughs> Thank you, Untitled Beatles Podcast Universe. <laughs> However... There's a couple names that I felt like had I been in charge next year, I would have included. Number one, no Alan Sybil, Tony. Come on, man. Come on, man. I considered him. I considered him. He played the French horn on For No One. He, Yeah, and I maybe he played on something else later on. I forget, but um, right. Was he in the um, Give My Regards to Broad Street? Or was that just like an actor playing a French horn player? I think those guys were actors. I'm pretty sure. Or just regular musicians. I don't know if I, I don't think that movie had the budget to hire actors miming musicians playing brass to yesterday. Besides, Alan Civil has a face for recording, not the movies. You know what I mean? It's 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 a face only Pete Best mom could love. <laughs> oh, we'll get into her. A different little bit reference later. for later. No, the big one. And uh, people don't include this guy as much as they should. But the director of the anthology, I believe, is Jeff Wanfor, who directed the Beatles anthology. And if if Peter Jackson 
and Dick Lester are going to be on this, and Michael Lindsay, boss hog. I might have included the director of anthology, but again, I did no work. I replied to no emails, so that'll be in our 2023 list. I guess we left you John wanting for. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shut up. Boo! <laughs> yeah. I also want to propose the animator who did the Beatles cartoons and the, you know, Yellow Submarine. I can't remember yeah. his name and I didn't look him up ahead of time, but. It's not Peter Max. That much we know. Did Al Bordeaux do those? No, he sang the theme from Moonlighting, TJ. Some walk by night, different, eight different keys. Some fly by me. I think that's the right key. He did something weird. Where in the in the single version of the Moonlighting theme, he started for no reason by going, "Don't you change?" Some walk by, and every yeah. time I'm like, "Why? Who is he talking to? The song hasn't begun yet." Don't you change? Some. I have that 45. I know what you're Me talking too. about. <laughs> do you have the picture sleeve with Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis on it? Yes. <laughs> I've got the picture sleeve, but I want to say Al Jarreau's on it, or it's like a skyline or something. I might be misremembering it, but I, yeah, it's, I should go dig it up. There was a soundtrack cassette to Moonlighting that featured Bruce Willis doing Tell Her About It or something. Uh, oh, that makes a lot it. of sense. Um, the guy I was going for was Ron Campbell, the late Ron Campbell, who we lost in 2021. Uh, he yeah. was the Australian animator. Tom Petty's guitar player. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that too. He played that Rick the Beatles and cartoons <laughs> and played the Rickenbacker for Tom Petty and the Harpers. Playing in Rickenback, Texas. All right. Let's, so other than that, Tony, I thought you did a great, great job compiling this. There was at least one person that I'd never heard of before and another person I'd read about once and <laughs> quickly forgot about. So yeah. at these 32, you, you stumped me. When I was going through the list, I'm like, oh, I'm glad this isn't like a Beatle trivia contest because I would not get 100 on this. I would, <laughs> I'd get like an A- minus or a B plus. Well, here we go. Let's do it. Let's do the showdown. All right, first matchup. In the first seat, Billy Preston. In the eighth, sorry, man, real quick. Is it for, it's the seat, right? First seat. Sorry, no, seed. Seed. Uh, thank you. First matchup, in the first seed, Billy Preston. And in the eighth seed, coming in at number 32, the bottom of our list, Maureen Cleave. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Mo, but not that Mo. Different Mo. Different Mo, but also a Mo. Oh, a wise guy, huh? Who's Maureen Cleave? So she was that journalist. She was kind of a confidant of John. Some people think Norwegian Wood is about Maureen Cleave. Which Maureen Cleave denied. That's in what? Which Beatles book is that in? That's obviously in the Lewis. And who? Do you remember who said that? No, but she, yes, she did. She did deny yeah, it. Yeah, she came out and said no. Right. And we actually think that's more about Robert Friedman's wife. Uh, or Freeman. Ugh. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking of Morgan Friedman. We sat and drank with the sun on our shoulders and felt like free men. She also penned the uh, the article where the whole uh, Beatles are bigger than Jesus quote was taken out of context a year later. 
and used against the Beatles for that whole tour in 66. Uh, not her fault. Not her fault. And she died. So what's the case for her being fifth Beatle then? It seems like all she did was cause headaches. No, no, no. She suggested that John try harder lyrically. She was the one that I believe suggested he uses uh. words with more than two syllables or something, right? Wasn't that her for help? And that's he came up with help that way? Yes. There you go. There you go. Yeah, she was just a friend and an inspiration, I guess, I would say. And she gave him cred, journalistic cred. Are there any cons to Billy Preston winning this matchup? I mean, this one feels particularly obvious, given that the obvious thing where I start with Billy Preston is he's the only, up until the 09 CD reissues, when Clapton was finally allowed on pressings of For While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the White Album, up until then, the only non-Beatle mentioned on a Beatles release was Billy Preston. So, I mean... That's true. Is there any... Do you see any way there could be an upset in this matchup? I don't. I don't. And we lost Maureen Cleave last year, uh, not too long ago, November of 2021. So rest in peace, Maureen Cleave. I really enjoyed what you did before 1966 and all that. And uh, I think we got to give it to Billy. Yeah, it's no slander on Maureen Cleave. It's just a tough first round matchup. How are you going to get through the buzzsaw that's Billy Preston? <laughs> no one's going to beat that. I'll play devil's advocate. You, In true March Madness uh, form, you can't have one shining moment without <laughs> Mo Cleave. Okay, second matchup. In the fifth seed. Wait, wait, wait. Who oh. won? Are we saying that <laughs> oh. now or do we? No, I think. I thought uh, we said yeah, it. we have to announce. It's Billy Preston's the clear winner. And just for the folks at home, the way we were thinking about doing this is if Tony and TJ have a consensus on the winner, we that's the clear winner. I shall provide the tiebreaker. I was prepared to put my finger on the scale for Maureen Cleave, but <laughs> no one else stood up for her. So Billy Preston advances. What you got against Billy Preston, <laughs> Casey? Casey forgot Billy Preston. <laughs> forgotten Billy Preston. No, we know we, we we love Billy. We'll talk about him more because he's coming up in the next round. Uh, That's right. Next matchup, fifth seed Andy White coming in at number seventeen against number sixteen fourth seed Dick Lester. All right, also known as Richard Lester. All right, so Dick Lester he directed Hard Day's Night, Help, How I Won the War, the John Lennon war spoof. He also worked with the Goons. And he directed my favorite Superman movie, Superman 2. And my favorite, Superman 3. How do you make Richard Pryor unfunny, Dick Lester? <laughs> you didn't see the man come flying out of the sky from the clouds. It was him with his cape flapping in the... Saw it in the theater. Did you see that in the theater? Not in theaters. I saw it on one of the Cinemax or whatever cable station we had in the late 80s. Sexy Superman 3. <laughs> Skinamax. <laughs> After 8 Mountain, 9 Central. Skinamax. All right. The following movie has been rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. It is intended for mature audiences. Cinemax will show this feature only at night. So Andy White, who's that? He's the guy who drummed on Love Me Do and P.S. I Love You. So he's a session drummer. He continues to haunt Ringo to this day. Uh, we lost him back in 2015. Rest in peace, Andy White. Uh, Dick Lester's still with us. What do you think, TJ, between these two? Tony, this is tricky because you have the drummer on arguably the best Beatles single. Isn't that what you've said? <laughs> 
I believe you once mm. said that Andy White's Latin percussion on P.S. <laughs> I Love You gave you the, the tinglies and the feetsies. It did, but Ringo's the one playing the maracas. Ringo, so it's Ringo that gives me the Andy White's feetsies. on bongos, I think. P.S. I Love You. Yeah, look, Dick Lester is crucial, right? Yeah. I mean, Beatlemania, sure, it was in force around the world and in the States before A Hard Day's Night. But what A Hard Day's Night did for that band, you kind of forget that A Hard Day's Night won the hearts of a lot of the parents if their hearts hadn't already been won on Ed Sullivan because it was so funny with other established actors. And it was a legitimate comedy film that was also a musical. So Dick Lester, you know, help. Not as good as A Hard Day's Night, as far as I'm concerned. How I Won the War is a really good and breezy and funny film with some very strange moments in it. The Running, Jumping, Standing Still film, which I finally saw when they did the DVD issue about 15 years ago. Oh. Richard Lester is super, super important in the Beatles' career. I think he wins this by a landslide, Fleetwood Mac. I'm going to agree with you, yeah, because Andy White was a Beatle for a day, and that was about it. Yeah. And not even really a Beatle. He just played on a Beatles track for one day. Like the Thompson Twins. Remember that? King for just one day. They sang weird. King for just one day. I would give it. Hold me now. Hold up on a seven. What are you speaking? I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, Dick Lester. So we'll give that to, to Mr. Lester. All right, next matchup in the third seed, coming in at number nine, Yoko. Three hole. <laughs> Three hole. It's Yoko's Ono. Yoko Ono. Yoko's Ono. <laughs> and then she's going up against our favorite American Beatle candidate uh, in the sixth seat, number 24, Dave Dexter I Jr. smell an upset coming. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, come on. Well, here's the thing. I got some pros and cons. Here's Let's the pros. Hear Yoko inspired some of John's greatest music. Dave Dexter improved Rubber Soul and gave us the Beatles' second album. Here are the cons. Yoko broke up the Threedles by not giving them a better version of Now and Then. <laughs> and, of course, Dave Dexter destroyed Revolver. Yeah. So there's those. He castrated Revolver, man. <laughs> A real double-edged sword. If you like your revolver with less John Lennon, you'll love the U.S. Capitol revolver. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to put in my vote for Yoko. To me, she's more a part of the Beatles. Did the Beatles even ever meet Dave Dexter? He just tinkered with their stuff. Agree. I, I, I agree. Meet the Beatles is a great record. Second album is a, a rocker. Without Dave Dexter, we wouldn't have the Butcher cover, you know? There's that. That is such a fun little... Everyone loves the Butcher cover. It's crazy. There'd be no Beatles VI, which I believe when it came out had a list of the songs and a note that said, see label for correct running order. Because I think they, they got it out. Get the product out to the kids. I don't care what's on the cover. <laughs> yeah, they didn't care. He added reverb to all the, you know, all this stuff. Uh, we lost him back in 1990. Yoko Ono still with us at this writing. So stay strong, Yoko. My vote's for Yoko. I, 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 I'm going to... I'll ask for your vote, I suppose. I'm voting for Dave Dexter. All right, Casey. There, I did it. All right, it's my first uh, weigh-in here. I, you both make compelling arguments. You know, Dave Dexter's impact certainly uh, 
earlier in the Beatles' career too, and and really instrumental in their explosion in the U.S. Uh, Yoko, definitely an indelible impression on like late era Beatles music. You know, what direction does John go without Yoko in his life? We don't know. Mm. I think I have to, I have to put this on, I'm going to put this one on replaceability. And I think if Dave Dexter isn't there, there's some other schmo who comes off the bench who does the same thing without Yoko, totally different trajectory. So I think I have to give this one to Yoko. Here's what's frustrating about you two men is that you don't have the balls to imagine a cover that's got John Lennon and Dave Dexter naked on it, swinging dogs. Fair, oh, fair, TJ. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't ready for that. You're right. All right. Next round one matchup. We've got in the seventh seed uh, coming in at number 25, Murray the K against second seeded number eight. Mal Evans, Mallet Mal Evans. I don't know. This one's pretty easy. Little trivia for you there. Uh, Murray the K, the first, I believe, to use the phrase, the fifth Beatle. Yes, he coined the phrase in 1964. New York City disc jockey, who was one of the first people, first Americans to greet the Fab Four, you know, when they got off that plane, made them at home over there. One of my favorite clips in that Beatles' first U.S. visit documentary is when they show Murray the K in great footage um, saying, hey, this keeps up, I'm going to be the fifth Beatle, baby. The Beatles station, they're taking over, they're telling us what to play. I got one more week of this, and I'm going to become the fifth Beatle, baby. And he's playing Marvin Gaye's Pride and Joy as a request from the Beatles. It's a magical <laughs> moment in that documentary. Also, not streaming anywhere. The amount of incredible Beatles material that you can't find is, uh, uh, or yeah. can't find easily is astonishing. Uh, but yeah, the thing about Mal Evans is Mal Evans also played on a song or two. And Mal yeah. Evans, if you believe him, wrote half a Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> well, he helped with fixing a hole. Uh, yeah, he's contributed a whole bunch. He started as the roadie. He's been a longtime friend. He contributed ideas. We saw it happen right there in Peter Jackson's Get Back with him helping Paul with Long and Winding Road. And the lyrical choices. You like standing better? Well, uh, yeah, put weight in there and stand in there. So it would be. You left me waiting here a long, long time ago. Yeah, I have a ton of credits, but I'll save it for later because I think this is an easy, an easy win for Mal Evans. That's my vote. I'm voting for Mal Evans, too, but I don't think it's as easy. I think what Murray the K did in really helping the Beatles explode in the largest radio market in the country, I think New York was in 64, mm. um, his role in that, uh, I think, is not to be overlooked at how he influenced teenagers in that massive media market. But yeah, obviously, Mal Evans, he does lose points for banging an anvil incorrectly. Or is that Michael <laughs> Lindsay Hogg's fault? We'll never know. <laughs> Yeah, I think he was doing it in time. I think I think that the Peter Jackson truth tapes revealed that he was actually in time. All right. Next battle in the second seat. Number five, Pete Best. Against seventh seated number 28, Marsha Albert. Everyone knows who Marsha Albert is. 
yeah, you know, I, okay, I'll be honest with you about something. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Beatle things I know, a lot of Beatle things I don't know, a lot of Beatle things I've forgotten. I didn't know who the fuck Marsha Albert was. <laughs> and then when I researched it, I still didn't care. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, TJ's already rendered his vote in this round. Not necessarily. Have you heard Pete Best drumming? Take it, Casey. Three, two. All right. Well, yes. Uh, Pete Best was the first drummer for the group, you know, and uh, he was also the first Beatle to appear on Late Night with David Letterman. Yeah, man. 82? Somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. I think it was 82 or 83. It was when the set was brown. <laughs> Those years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, his mom opened up the Casbah Coffee Club. But were it not for kind of her mom and Pete, like uh, the momentum of the Beatles would have figured differently, I think. And yet, Marsha Albert requested, I want to hold your hand on Silver Spring, Maryland radio station, WWDC, now an iHeart radio station. Here's the new Ed Sheeran. It's the now sound of WWDC 12.6. Well, here's the deal, man. She was this 15-year-old girl, yeah, from Silver Spring, Maryland, and she saw on a Sunday program, like, this group in England that was amazing, and it was the Beatles, obviously, and she was like, well, why can't Americans enjoy this music? Look at all the fun they're having. Our president just got shot, you know? So she called up the station, had wanted to hear, I want to hold your hand. They got a flight attendant from British Airways to deliver a copy of the single to WWDC AM radio. And she got called into the station December 17th, 1963, to introduce I Want to Hold Your Hand for the first time ever on U.S. airwaves. So Marsha Albert of Dublin Drive of Silver Spring has the honor of introducing something brand new and exclusive here at WWDC. Marsha, the microphone here on the Carol James Show is yours. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on the air in the United States, here are the Beatles singing, I want to hold your hand. Uh, I'm going to give this vote to Pete Best because the fifth Beatle I ever knew about was Pete Best. Pete Best is an affable guy. He's a likable guy. He's more than a historical footnote, but he loses points for releasing an album called Best of the Beatles, where he basically did cover songs. Some other guy now, taking my love away. So I'm voting for someone I'd not heard of until two hours ago, Marsha wow. Albert. Wow. <laughs> All right. I get another one then. Um, okay. You both make really compelling arguments. Surprisingly, TJ, who's never heard. For folks at home, our little video chat that we're talking over, TJ's Chiron reads, the fuck is Marsha Albert? Uh, and here he is. Didn't know. You know, defending her, a seven seed. Um, part of me is really inclined, like Pete Best really contributed to the Beatles. Like he is on record with them. He was a Beatle. Yeah. Yeah. He plays on their audition, their DECA audition. But TJ makes a compelling point that his contributions to those are not great. And if I go by the same criteria I used, uh, earlier is who's the next person up on the bench behind them. Marsha Albert really went to bat for the Beatles. <laughs> I think the next man up behind Pete Best 
probably does a better job. Let's be real. I have to give this one to Marsha Albert. Wow. Cinderella story. Holy. What's this called? Uh, let me look it up on my uh, glossary. Slippers for sleepers. Oh. <laughs> Cinderella story. Spinderella cut it up one time. Okay, next up, we've got the sixth-seeded Mark Lewison against the third-seeded Nikki Hopkins. Okay. Mark Lewison, premier Beatle historian, the world's leading authority on the Fab Four. He wrote the complete Beatles recording sessions, The Beatles, all these years. Tune in. He's got another one coming out in a couple years. He's written a bunch of other books, The Beatles Live, that... Uh, has a complete history of all their live performances. The dude knows his shit. I go to him for all my, not all my facts, for a lot of my facts. I rely on Mr. Lewison. And then we got Nicky Hopkins, session man. He played the uh, electric piano on Revolution. And he's played with every Beatle after the breakup. So he, that's him on Imagine. That's him on Living in the Material World. Ringo's Ringo album, and he played on Flowers in the Dirt. Yeah, his piano on the song That Day Is Done that he wrote with Elvis Costello is gorgeous. She sprinkles flowers in the dirt That's when a thrill becomes a hurt. It's a very gospel-y type song, and if you read the creation of that song, Elvis Costello talks about how Paul's simple chorus reminded him of Let It Be and uh, really helped that song take off. So, again, Tony, that's one in a different episode. I'm going to play Force Tony to Enjoy Flowers in the Dirt because I love, love, love that record. Um, yeah, man, this is this is not tricky. Nip, Nicky Hopkins, uh, Nippy Hoskins, Bob Hoskins, yeah. Nipsey Russell. <laughs> the mashup you didn't Who know framed you Roger Daltrey? <laughs> <laughs> Credits to the song is over. Um, so, all right. Uh, Nicky Hopkins' keyboard on Revolution makes the song so much more energetic. Uh, it just adds dimension. He was one of the first outside musicians to come on and be part of the combo, not like a uh, an orchestral Alan Civil type thing. Yeah. But Mark Lewison taught generations of Beatles fans their history. He kind of fell out of favor with the Beatles camp for a while. Mm. Um, they've switched for liner notes from Lewison to Kevin Howlett. Oh, right. In yes. the different CD iterations. But if you look at the original Past Masters, those are all Mark Lewison's notes. Recording Sessions, which I think came out in 88, yeah. was about as influential of a Beatles book as anybody could have had at the time because it put order and context and accuracy to things. It absolutely has to be Mark Lewison, yes? I think I'm going to, yes. I'm going to agree with you on that, yeah. I love Nicky Hopkins, but he, uh, not but, and he also played on Kinks records, Rolling Stones records. He played the on Who, right? The Who, the Ox. He played on that great instrumental that the Who did on their first record. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we lost him a long time ago, 1994. Um, but it's great to see him play on Imagine, you know, the the video, all the film footage we have of them recording that record. I meant the album Imagine, not the song. Yeah, man. He's a great dude. Rest in peace. But as far as Beatle World goes, I got to give it to Lewison. You know, there is some controversy. I'm pretty sure the Paul McCartney song Early Days from New 
where one of the standout tracks where Paul sings in kind of like a real raspy, his voice sounds weathered more than any other protected Paul McCartney song of the last 20 years or 15 years or so. I think the song Early Days is pointed at Mark Lewison. Mm. They can't take away from me if they tried. I was there for the early days. I mean, the lyrics wrong. I haven't heard the song in a couple of years. They can't take it from me if they try. I live through those early days. The gist of it is Paul trying to reclaim Beatles history from the so-called historians. And I think some of that was directed at Mark Lewison. Copy that, man. Well, I tell you what, yeah, maybe next year we throw Kevin Howlett into the mix, you know? Or well, we- that's who Queenie Eye was about. <laughs> Our next matchup is in the fourth seed, Peter Jackson, who's coming in at number 13. That's pretty high. I think this is his year, you know what I mean? And uh, in the fifth seed, he's going up against number 20, Jim Keltner. All right. What do we think here? What do we think here? So Peter Jackson, of course, director of Get Back. We all watched it. We've watched it a few times now. What Peter Jackson did was give us the second best Beatles documentary after Anthology. I mean, is the access to the history that we got was unmatched, in some ways better than Anthology because it was of its one sole focus yes. and the cleaned up footage. But, you know, then again, Keltner, a.k.a. Buster Sidebury, I love, <laughs> poor guy was, was a member of the Wilburys and didn't get his own Wilbury brother name. He got Buster Sidebury. You know, he played with a, on a ton of George records. He's all over the George, George Harrison's last couple of albums. Of course, the Wilbury stuff. He was on Living With Material World. He toured with Ringo. Yeah, all-star band. I don't believe he ever worked with Paul. No. They were both at the concert for George. Is Keltner on drums when Paul's performing? Oh. I can't answer that without researching it. Yeah. They never did studio work together. Yeah, we should look into that. that that's, a good, that's a good point. Yeah. He played on Walls and Bridges, too. So he played yeah. with Lennon. And then obviously with Ringo and George. So yeah, yeah. Paul was his only, the only one he didn't play with. Did he at any point play with the Beatles? He's not on any Beatles recordings, right? This no. is all post, post breakup. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he's, he's actually on the Wikipedia list of like possible fifth Beatle choices. So that's, yeah. that's kind of why he makes this list in a way. Fair game. Fair game. Fair game. Yeah. Are there cons with these two? My con is, is poor Peter Jackson looks like disheveled Jack Black. <laughs> Like, I want to give Peter Jackson a shower and a hug. He's he's just too busy watching the dailies, man. Like, he is a workaholic, you know? Uh, So that's his con, is his physical appearance? Yeah. I don't have time for people who don't look like me. Because, you know, because Keltner, Keltner's, you know, very clean. No, I don't know. I'm Googling how Jim Keltner looks. These days, you know, actually, these days, I think he did. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like how he looked at Bangladesh or whatever. He looks like a musician, you know, with long hair and maybe he showered. He's a nice old man, isn't he? He's very clean. I'm going to go with Peter Jackson. This is his year. He gave us. Yes, I agree with you, TJ. The best Beatles thing since 95, nearly 30 years. He's brought us a joyful and rich presentation of an otherwise what we thought in in history was the winter of discontent and he's also getting like young people into the beatles now if you go on instagram or whatever you're doing these days there's like vertical videos of it looks like john's <laughs> looks like john lennon is on tiktok or whatever which is weird to me but who cares i'm glad it's happening i'm glad it's living on you know well and that's the only problem with the get back movies 
is that he didn't interview Sia to get her thoughts on the Beatles. <laughs> he didn't interview Adam Levine to get his thoughts on the Beatles. That's what was frustrating is I want talking heads yeah. who are, you know, pop artists now to talk about what hearing Lady Madonna meant to them. <laughs> like like we do. <laughs> like we do. This is the Beatles Don't Let Me Down. I'm anxious to hear this. Well, I vote for Peter Jackson. Yeah, me too. I, I love Keltner, but I got to vote for, for Peter. Once again, Jim Keltner gets, he's the Rodney Dangerfield of rock drummers. He gets no respect. I'm all Peter Jackson too. Get a shave, son. <laughs> all right. Continuing our first round coverage is eighth seed Maharishi against first seeded Stuart Sutcliffe. This one was ridiculous. <laughs> this is one where I was like, whatever Tony's on, I want it. I want you to want me. I want you to want me. Well, Maharishi, you know, he spent a limited time with the, the Fab Four, but so did Stu Sutcliffe. In fact, when Stu was, he was actually the actual fifth Beatle because they were a five piece with him in there. <laughs> you know, a lot of people give, Stu, the title of Fifth Beatle. That's how it always was. Like before we were talking about George Martin or any of these other people, it really was Stu Sutcliffe, maybe Pete Best, you know? So Stu held on to these to this title for so long. Uh, he was the original bass guitarist. He left the band to pursue art and to be with... Put that in air quotes, Tony. <laughs> bass guitarist. Faced the upstage wall and held it. Didn't make a sound. The Beatles forced him to, to buy a bass so that they could have a bass player in their band. He couldn't play it. He was often a half a step down or whatever. You know, He wore sunglasses. I think Paul was not as into Stu being in the band as the others were probably because of his musicianship. Stu sang Love Me Tender, which often got a, a bigger response from the crowds than some of the other songs at that time. And then we're going up against uh, Maharishi. So Maharishi, you know, large spiritual influence between like 67 and 68. He inspired the songs Sexy Sadie. Everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. Come on is such a joy. Sour Milk Sea. And Child of Nature and Mother Nature's Son were both inspired by uh, one of his lectures. So uh, we lost him back in 2008. We lost Stu back in 1962. It kills me that Maharishi didn't live to hear the 09 remasters. <laughs> <laughs> Just short of it. He, he always dreamed of hearing the Yellow Submarine soundtrack finally remastered. From its dastardly 87 <laughs> mix. Well, yeah, when John was in the helicopter with him, Maharishi was asking for a monocopy of the inner light, you know. <laughs> Excuse me, a stereo, because the mono was the single. Yeah, he wanted to hear the stereo, because the Maharishi had the finer things there at the ashram. <laughs> uh, okay, th this is tricky, because TLC wrote a song about Maharishi called Creep. <laughs> Maharishi was a creep. I thought that was a Stone Temple Pilots song. Me I'm free. I thought that was a Radiohead song. It's a Radiohead <laughs> song. But I'm a creep. I'm a okay, Stu Sutcliffe 
I mean, he was, to put it in topical millennial terms, this one's for Casey. Stu Sutcliffe was the opposite of Megan Trainer. He was not all about that bass. We'll be right back. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. I might have just. <laughs> Did Megan Trainer sing all about that bass, Casey? I'm not sure because I think Megan Trainer is a Gen Z thing. Oh, all right, <laughs> old man. Take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, the Maharishi was a creep, and the Beatles pretty quickly disavowed him. I'm going Stu Sutcliffe here. Yeah, yo, Tambien, man. All right, there we go. And Rick Sutcliffe, Cy Young Award-winning <laughs> pitcher for the 84 Cubs. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. In the first seed, heavy hitter, Brian Epstein. Gonna be hard to beat this one. He is going up against uh ranked 30th in the eighth seed, Bernard Purdy. Stop it. First of all, it's Prudy. <laughs> Second of all, stop it, Tony. <laughs> Casey, can you flag this? <laughs> You're wearing a black and white. You look like a referee today. Can you flag this? I think I, I have Call like a foul. I have a red card somewhere in my desk. Oh, Ted Lasso of you. A little more international. I don't know, man. This is a hard one, I think. It's a, so because so. Bernard, uh, who invented the Purdy Shuffle, he pretended to play on Beatles albums. He says so. In fact, in Gig Magazine, 1978, here's the quote. I overdubbed drumming on 21 tracks of the first Beatles albums. They paid me a lot of money to keep my mouth shut, but it's been 10 years, so fuck it. I guess I can talk about it. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, I thought, like, we've referred to his interview in some video that's on YouTube multiple times where he the just... Steely the Steely Dan documentary. The Steely Dan documentary. And he, like, lists off all these acts he worked with, and they kind of, like, fade out when he starts to mention the Beatles, because it <laughs> yeah. seems like an editor was like, that might not be true. Aretha Frank. Nina Simone. Roberta Flack, Donny Hathaway. James Brown. Lloyd Price. Ray Charles. Frank Sinatra. Heinz, Heinz, and Ford. Barry Manilow. Dionne Warwick. The Animals. The Monkeys. The Beatles. B.B. King. Bobby Blue. I didn't know that he all, I didn't know about this quote. So that he's got a yeah, it started this whole, there's conspiracy a whole conspiracy theory. Yeah, there has been a conspiracy theory that's been out there forever that I've seen on message boards back in the message board days of like, you know, Bernard Purdy actually played drums on all that stuff. And it's based on this quote. And uh, the possible scenario is that he maybe played on like Beatle knockoff records, you know, by like the bugs with two G's and the Beatles with two E's. Because he refers to the song She Loves You. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I played on that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you. Anyway, I'm not buying it. Uh, I guess I'm going to vote for Brian Epstein, their their manager. Yeah, this is a tricky one. <laughs> not sure where I stand. I mean, I have burned my fair share of copies of A Cellar Full of Noise. <laughs> Why'd you have multiple copies, TJ? It's pretty weird. One year for Halloween, I went as the book, The Cellar Full of Noise, and I just had a bunch <laughs> of front covers, and I burned the rest. Um, yeah, I mean, Brian Epstein... 
his story, I cannot wait to do our three-parter on Brian Epstein, our deep dish, because he's like arguably in 1A or 1B or 1C for the fifth Beatle running. But because of how quickly his life ended with how much more was left of their career to go, he almost feels pushed aside Yeah, in Beatle history. I know that sounds nuts, but he really does. No, I get that. And I think that's because he's been gone so long. We lost him in August of 1967. So he kind of became fossilized or something, you know? I mean, so two months after Pepper came out or pretty close to that. Yeah. Brian Epstein is gone. And then you so Pepper's riding the wave of the summer of love when Brian Epstein is dead. And then think we you still have you Magical Mystery Tour, the L7 movie, the White Album, Abbey Road. There is a chunk, a crucial chunk of the Beatles career that is sans Brian Epstein. But in certainly in this matchup of Bernard Purdy, uh, yeah, Brian Epstein, 100 percent. And I'm going to make a wager that Brian Epstein might win this whole fucking thing when all said and done. Wow. Wow. Big words. Big words. Well, let's keep plowing through. Let's see what we got. Next up in the fifth seed, Chaz Newby against fourth seeded Michael Lindsay Hogg. So we got number 19 against number 14 here. Okay, who's Chaz Newby, right? Yes. <laughs> who's Chaz Newby? I, I know I'd read about him. I'd heard the name, unlike Michelle uh, Albert, AAA, Marsha Albert. I didn't want to get her name right. She's still around. She'd come on our show. She beat Pete Best. <laughs> She's in the next round, she man. Beat Pete Best. Oops. <laughs> Dead edible kick in at the wrong time. <laughs> Well, let me enlighten you, TJ. Uh, Chaz Newby, he was the second Beatles bassist. So after Stu, he played four gigs with them in Liverpool, but did not go with them to their second trip back to Germany. And that was it. So well worthy of including here. Well, he played with them. You know what I mean? He was a Beatle. How many people were actually a Beatle? There you go, man. Didn't Horst Fosher play with them too on stage of one drunken night at the at next the, year? Uh, Horst Fosher's in the running next year. TJ, you betcha. You surrendered your opportunity to put input into this list. I, I did. I did. But my kiss was on your list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Chaz is going up against Michael Lindsay Hogg. He directed uh, Let It Be. But in addition to that, prior to all that, he was a a director for Ready, Steady, Go, which, you know, he got to work with like the Yardbirds and the Who and all those up and coming groups. It's a great show. It's all that great footage. It's fun. Uh, he did the promo films, which are considered like the first music videos for Paperback Writer, Rain, Revolution, Hey Jude. He did the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, which gives me my favorite Who performance of all time. And he did some Wings videos. Plus, did you know this? He directed a, a TV movie called Two of Us. Yes. Did you? I never saw it. It's about the night that uh, Lauren Michaels offered the Beatles three grand to reunite yeah. as a gag. John and Paul. Yeah. Now, historically, they're saying it's kind of impossible that those two were actually together that night. Like, people are kind of digging up the dates on that. And But this is a movie. It's like, oh, the story was like, oh, John and Paul were together that night in New York City. And they thought about actually going down to 30 Rock and all that. Anyway, he directed that. Yeah. I've got that on VHS. I think that's from the either 2000 or yeah. right around then. It came out in 2000. Yes. Yeah. That was when I was still videotaping things. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, look, it takes no more of a source than the great Peter Jackson to vindicate and validate Michael Lindsay Hogg's contribution because it was Peter Jackson in that IMAX Q&A who said, we have Michael Lindsay Hogg to thank. He's the one who rolled in all this footage and directed all this footage originally. So even though Peter Jackson directed and assembled this version, there would be no version were it not for Michael Lindsay Hogg's foresight and patience. I mean, uh, in in my opinion, the Get Back release has only elevated Michael Lindsay Hogg that much more for me as a fan. I agree with you, man. Got to vote for him. He is getting the vote. Yeah. All right. Uh, we uh, are you sure you don't have anything else on Chaz Newby? <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. He was he was he wasn't even a member of Jimmy Nickel and the Shub Dubs. All right. So. <laughs> Next up, third-seeded Klaus Vorman against sixth-seeded Bob Wooler. Bob Wooler, the Cavern Club DJ, introduced the Beatles to Brian Epstein. Klaus Vorman met the Beatles in Hamburg, lived with Ringo and George, designed the Revolver cover, designed the Anthology covers. He was the one who played bass on I'm the Greatest, which was the closest we ever got to a Beatles reunion in John Lennon's lifetime. He did a bunch of other stuff, too. Played on Plastic Ono Band. I can go down the list. It'll take a while. But he played on a lot of Beatles, post-Beatles stuff. Klaus Borman is one of the three or four most important people in the Beatles' peripheral orbit. With all due respect to Bob Wooler, who I think John Lennon beat up. Yes, at Paul's 21st birthday party. Yes. And he had to, like, go to the hospital and stuff. And they, they paid. They Instead of going to the courts, they gave him some money. Yeah, I mean, we can uh, we can wrap this pretty quick. Klaus Borman is super important and crucial and is such a gentleman and such a statesman. You know, uh, uh, his playing a concert for Bangladesh. He has been part of so many massive moments in Beatle history, including designing the cover for arguably the one of their top two records. Indeed. And I'm talking about Anthology 3. <laughs> I love I love the George Martin instrumental uh, beginning. That's how it opens. Yeah, man. We should cover those sometime. That would be fun to go through those. Yeah. Uh, he won a Grammy, actually, for uh, the Revolver cover. Oh. So there you go, man. Yeah, that's right. I got to vote for Klaus. Klaus Foreman. All right. Next up, we got uh, seventh seated Kevin Harrington. Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's the redhead on the roof. He's like a fan favorite from the Get Back movie. He held the lyrics for John Lennon. His stock is rising. <laughs> during I Dig a Pony. Yep. He's going up against Neil Aspinall <laughs> in the second seed. It's a get back matchup. It is a get back matchup. Uh, though we don't see that much of Neil, do we? No. No, but he's he comes in once or twice, right? Or am I thinking of Derek Taylor? Because I get those guys mixed up a lot. I know Derek Taylor's there. I feel like they refer to him. I feel like I saw a, like a subtitle or like a little Chiron introducing him at some point. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely a talking head on all the anthology stuff. Like anthology was was kind of he was an EP on it, executive producer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Neil Aspinall, school friend of Paul and George, road manager, became their personal assistant and was CEO of Apple. And he did all the the what do you call it? Like he went to bat for them in court when they had lawsuits against Alan Klein. EMI, Apple computers. Yeah. <laughs> so also he played Tambura on Within You Without You. 
Well, it was also Neil Aspinall who was trying to assemble a Beatles documentary from the early 70s on under the working title The Long and Winding Road, a bit yeah. like all the Let It Be footage was given to Phil Spector to try to make an album out of it. All the Beatles history was given to Neil Aspinall in the early 70s, and he was told, make something of this. And it, of course, never came to fruition until anthology. Neil Aspinall came back to Apple in the 90s when Apple resumed again after all the lawsuits had ended. It's because of Neil Aspinall that we have live at the BBC. It's because of Neil Aspinall yeah. that we have the anthology, the anthology book. In fact, uh, Neil Aspinall basically, right when he died, this, that was 2008, yes? Yes, 2008. Apple then was handed over to Jeff Jones. Jeff Jones, who was an executive who did a lot of the reissues for CBS and Columbia, Miles Davis, a lot of their catalog stuff. And it was with Jeff Jones that the Beatles catalog took its next step with the remasters and the remixes we've seen and all that. So while Neil Aspinall's death was very sad, it was handed over. Apple was in more than capable hands. But Kevin Harrington went to work with Motorhead later. Yeah, I mean, without question, I think I got to vote Kevin Harrington in this matchup, Tony. <laughs> well, I'm voting Neil Aspinall. That means I'm it's Aspinall, a tie. I'm Aspinall, but to me too. Oh, okay. So you're putting up to me? Oh, okay, phew. I don't want to be on that hot seat. Casey, do you agree? Uh, yes, uh, yes, obviously. Although, as like the producer of the show, I kind of identify with uh, Kevin Harrington. <laughs> I, Sometimes I, I got to be there to hold the lyrics up for you. Yeah, you. Yes, mm -hmm. you do that for us every week, and we love you. Uh, Get out of here! Thank you for going and fetching bow ties for us. We're wearing our bow ties today. And Botox. Thanks for getting that. <laughs> yeah, my cheeks is puffy. Let's pretend we just can't see his face. We still got a couple more in this first round. Next up, it's Derek Taylor in the second seed against Astrid Kircher in the seventh. I don't know who either of these people are, so oh, I well, could use some help. Well, the latter was in Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> That's a millennial movie, isn't it? <laughs> that and Memento. We get it. You're into the artsy films. <laughs> You're thinking of Ashton Kuncher, TJ. Is that what's pronounced? Kuncher? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nope. It's not Ashton Kuncher. It's Kevin Malone. Equally handsome equally smart no astrid kircher which i don't know i'm not I, I don't know how to pronounce german things but i think it's kircher kircher sure she's influential too i mean she and Stu fell in love with each other but the biggest thing about her is the photos she took documenting those early beatles years are some of the most striking beatles photography that exists pre-beatlemania Yes, they're iconic. And yeah, that's that picture that John uses on the rock and roll album is from is from that is from those Hamburg days. She's also credited with inventing the mop top haircut, which she denies. She says that's rubbish. Um, I think she helped cut it and all that. But it, she said she knew people that had that haircut prior to the Beatles. She was also the advisor on that movie Backbeat in 94, which was all about their uh, Hamburg years. Great movie. I love the soundtrack for that. Yeah, very Gen X, TJ, very Gen X. Yeah, very Gen X doing only um, the covers and those, no Lennon and McCartney songs, just the covers that the Beatles did. Yeah. And like Roadrunner and stuff. I'm a Roadrunner, honey. Beep, beep. Now, who's Derek Taylor? He was the press officer for the Beatles and Apple. He was the one that was working on the Beatles anthology book, which is a great book. 
The thing is, he stepped away from the Beatles for a little bit to move to L.A. and he worked with the Beach Boys. He's the one who coined the phrase pocket symphony to describe the Beach Boys' good vibrations. That was his work. Did he show up at all in the Get Back movie? I remember him briefly, I think, during yes. some playback stuff. I, saw, I, okay. I thought I saw him come in. Looking very quaffed. He's also who inspired uh, George Harrison's Blue Jay Way. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, because they were in L.A. That's right. Yeah. And he was on his way, and they got lost in the fog. It was before GPS. Derek Taylor also wrote a lot of the sleeve notes for the early British Beatles albums, which are delightful to read. Agreed. Did he or did Tony Barrow write those? Now I'm in my Beatle head. Oh, yeah, it might be more Tony Barrow. Um, he's the one that helped George ghostwrite that Daily Express column, and he helped Brian Epstein with Cellar Full of Noise. But I'm sure he contributed in some way to... Uh, Maybe some of those liner notes. And I think he helped George with I Me Mine. Yes, the he did. George Harrison book. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. I'm going to vote for Derek. Yeah, I'm going for uh, Derek Taylor and the Dominoes as well. <laughs> Derek, Derek King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. We pulled it all together. <laughs> and Kevin Harrington was also a roadie for uh, Derek and the Dominoes. FYI. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He is who uh, Clapton wrote Layla about. <laughs> couple more matchups. We've got Alan Williams in the sixth seed against third-seeded Eric Clapton. Speaking of Clapton, speaking of Layla. Clapton, why is he a fifth Beatle? Well, he played guitar in While My Gently Weeps. Him and George played uh, on that Cream Song uh, badge. Yes? We missed While My Guitar Gently Weeps. No, Tony's you... Tony's got the original title. While My, while my Gently Weeps. Yeah. Well, oh, did I say just While My Gently yeah. Weeps? You said play guitar on While My Gently Weeps. Well, I said guitar in there already. Yeah, you did. <laughs> just, I'll just plug it in. Yeah. Yeah, just put it Just put it in. <laughs> Let me take that just, again. Uh, fly I'll, it in. You could do just, why is Eric Clapton fifth Beatle? All right, three, two, one. Clapton, why is he a fifth Beatle? Well, he played guitar and while my guitar gently weeps. Uh, he also played guitar on Cream's badge with George. <laughs> that makes sense. And then, you know, he fell in love with Patty, George's wife. He played at Bangladesh. He's in the Dirty Mac. Uh, I think he played with Plastic Ono Band in Toronto, is it? He I did think? that Toronto show, yeah. Yeah. My Peace album. Going up against Alan Williams, the Beatles' first manager. He's the one that took him to Hamburg for the first time and then uh, gave him away. In fact, he wrote a, a memoir called The Man Who Gave the Beatles Away. Unlike the, the Beatle who gave his wife away to Eric Clapton. <laughs> People say I'm crazy. Give him my wife away. <laughs> John wrote that about George. <laughs> I'm going to vote for uh, Alan Williams on this one, man. Yeah, me too, because if Alan Williams were alive, he probably wouldn't be railing on vaccines. <laughs> Alan Williams. And also Clapton did the most pedestrian cover of the self-titled George Harrison album's opener, Love Comes to Everyone. In his 2004 or five album, Back Home, maybe 2006, I'm close. And it's it's a pedestrian reading of that song. Look, Clapton is the reason we have George Harrison playing live on that Live in Japan concert album. Clapton deserves a lot of credit as well. He was loyal to George, organizing the concert for George. Clapton is a seminal figure in Beatles history, but I'm frustrated with slow hand. I'm taking Alan Williams. Yeah, me too. I think... I think in the year 2022, that vote makes sense to me.
Moving along, fourth-seeded Phil Spector, oh, everybody's favorite, against fifth-seeded Jimmy Nickel. <laughs> Rock's two most renowned murderers. Based no, on. no, no, no. Oh. Different drummer, different drummer. <laughs> You're thinking of Jim Gordon. He's the one that uh, murdered his mom. He played on All Things Must Pass and was Derek in the Dominoes. Uh, good drummer. Bad choices. Bad good, choices. Yeah, but you know what? A good choice. He made those real yummy frozen fish sticks. <laughs> Gordon's. Yeah. Jim yeah. Gordon's. Gordon's crunchy fish sticks and fillets. Absolutely no preservatives. And mom, no leftovers. Phil Spector. He's the producer, so he produced "Let It Be," "Instant Karma," "Plastic Ono Band." All things must pass. Power to the people. Imagine the concert for Bangladesh. Happy Christmas. War is over. Sometime in New York City. He was fired from living in the material world. And then he, last thing he did with the Beatles, as far as I know, was rock and roll. John Lennon's uh, rock and roll album. And he's a murderer. We should say that. He's a murderer. Even John was tired of him by then. He only produced about half of that record, the rock yeah. and roll album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Nickel, he drummed eight shows on the world tour of uh, 1964 while Ringo had his tonsils taken out. He inspired the song Getting Better, and he inspired moments of the film That Thing You Do, which was written by Tom Hanks. Uh, he later went on to uh, to play with Jimmy Nickel and the Shub Dubs and is bitter and possibly living in Mexico. He kind of disappeared. It's my favorite James Taylor album, <laughs> Possibly Living in Mexico. Untitled Beatles podcast love two things Ringo's album Bad Boy and Jimmy Nickel I mean here's the thing Phil Spector is crucial but he's a murderer Jimmy Nickel is a cult figure who's hilarious he didn't want to market he didn't want to make money off his short time with the Beatles which is what's so weird he never wrote a book he's not an anthology or any of that stuff it's time we give Jimmy Nickel his due so this is Christmas Jimmy Nickel's my pick <laughs> I'm going to go with you on that one. I'm going to go with you on that one. I think I, I love Spectre in his way, not as a, anything about the murder and that awful thing. But yeah, I think we need to give love to Jimmy Nickel. Okay. He's the anti-Pete Best, it sounds like. Yes. He, he didn't go on to record an album of Beatle covers or cash in or uh -uh. didn't appear on the Letterman show. No, he no, was just in, about his life. He was just shubbing and dubbing with the shub dubs. Shubbing and dubbing. We got one more in the first round. In the 31st place, eighth seed, Magic Alex against first seeded number two, George Martin. George Martin was the producer of the Beatles. Magic Alex, Giannis Alexis Mardas, was the head of Apple Electronics. He was the inventor of the nothing box and other useless things. <laughs> I love Magic Alex. He is like the most comic character in the Beatle comic book. Well, and unlike George Martin, Magic Alex never produced a band who sang a line that went, There were rocks and birds and plants and turds. <laughs> <That was never laughs> 
Is that America? Who is that? What song Plants is that? Plants and birds and rocks and turds. <laughs> talking about right? No. Who is that? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you're going for a horse with no name. I think that's it America. I swear it. There were plants and birds and rocks and turds. <laughs> that's how I always I hear it. I don't think the lyric is turds. I mean, I'll Google it after. Trust me. Look at the lyric. Are you it's sure? turds. <laughs> okay. Pretty sure. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Verified. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Untitled Beatles Podcast Exclusive. Untitled Beatles Podcast Exclusive. Oh, poop. I love Magic Alex. Um, in fact, I accidentally just voted for him, but I can't do that. We can't do that. He's going up against George Martin, and, you know, you got to vote for George Martin. Hey, uh, Tony, where's Magic Alex from? Say it. Say it. Was this Bloodsport? <laughs> About to be. I won't say it. <laughs> okay. Um, Grease. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Casey? Yes? I mean, well, I was just going to say, technically, he's from Athens. You could have, We could have gotten around that without having to say the damn word. And then Athens. you would have had to play uh, <laughs> R.E.M. <laughs> I bless the rains down in Athens. Athens. <laughs> TJ, I don't think that's the right lyric either, but if you're sure about it, <laughs> go I look it up. Plants, I'm birds, rocks, turds. It rhymes and it fits. <laughs> there were plants and birds and rocks and turds. Here's the thing George Martin, it's very difficult for me because I believe he and Billy Preston should be tied for Ultimate Fifth Beetle. That's what it's going to come down to. Mm. George Martin, his influence, we talk about this every time we bring him up. His taste, the way he was able to combine his love of classical, comedy, music hall, and still be a slightly older guy who embraced rock and roll because of the Beatles, he was everything you'd want in a record producer. And it's very difficult. It'll be a sad day if he doesn't win the official fifth Beatle in our bracket. Wow, we, man. Wow, we. Okay. Well, that completes the first round. Wow, that was a mega round, man. So we only have 16 more matchups to go. And uh, 15, technically. 15. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. 15 more rounds. I can't wait to see who wins 2022's fifth Beatle of the year <laughs> award. And the moment award. <laughs> toilet seat. <laughs> the golden toilet seat. <laughs> Well, uh, if, if this sounds like it's going to have to be a two-parter somewhere in here. Untitled Beatles po 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 Podcast. Sweet 16, March Madness. You know, part two, March Madness. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Ooh, three wax. I love the sound of three wax. <laughs> <laughs> that means there's three of us here, TJ. Yeah, I also, my anniversary gift for my wife is always I get her three waxings. I thought you were referring to, I always put them on Facebook. Show me your wax. <laughs> we're what joined... is a waxing? Is a waxing like just, I mean, do men wax? Well, the, the karate kid, didn't he wax? That's how he... He waxed on. <laughs> he wa he waxed he off? Waxed off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on. Hat. Wax off. Concentrate.
he waxed off to Elizabeth's shoe, and I don't blame him. In his own shoe. Wax offed, I think is how you say it. Ah, right, as in frequently. Wax on! (laughs) Wax off! (laughs) The The waxer. (laughs) Give it a big hand. The Clapper is available at Woolworth, Walgreens, Eckerd, and participating True Value. Makes a great gift. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast, March Madness, part due. Joining us is our producer, our esteemed producer, Casey Baker. Hi, Casey. Hey, hey. Hey, Casey. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to help uh, mediate some fights between you right here in, in these tougher final rounds. Thank you. Thank you for that. You have some tough calls to make. You had some tough calls to make in episode one. It was hard. Yeah, Pete Best losing out to uh, that little girl in D.C. (laughs) That's right, Marsha Albert. Thank you, Marsha Albert. Yeah, uh, I wasn't in favor of that. I mean, (laughs) Marsha Albert's someone I didn't know. And by the way, Silver Spring, Maryland's not D.C., Tony. For someone who claims to love America, you don't know the difference between the Silver Spring radio market and the DC radio market. They both have different hot FM stations. Hot FM. Kesha. DC's number one hit music station. And number one for new music. Turn it up. Hot 99.5. Wake up in the morning feeling um, <laughs> You never put Kesha on a Chicago hot dog. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> Hey man, um, my hot dog, my <laughs> choice. All right. Exactly. Um, I didn't. I didn't know who Marsha Albert was. I'd heard the story, but I would not have remembered that name to save my life. So Marsha Albert beat poor Pete Best. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's the Untitled Beatles podcast. We're at the Sweet Sixteen right now. We are determining who is the true fifth. Beatle in the year 2022. And we started with how many? 32, right? That's right. Right? Yeah. So that means we're down to 16. We've got eight hot matchups here in round two. Should we just should we just kick it off? We could. I, I just played the, uh, N, the uh, NCAA theme on CBS, which I forgot we were recording it, but it's this thing. It's... That's the NCAA on, on, CB, on CBS. And now like TNT and True TV and all that stuff. You down with True TV? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know me. Those crickets uh, are. Do you think John Tesh composed that? Do you think that's like his corner? Like he's just been doing all of these like great, you know, broadcast sports jingles? It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he did. He's like, he's the Lennon McCartney of pulsating 80s sports themes. Yeah. <laughs> and the Entertainment Tonight theme. That motherfucker hosted a show for which he wrote the theme song. Is that true? So he wrote the... It sounds like it. If I say it, it's got to be true. <laughs> Shit, who's going to look it up? I'm on the air with you guys. Who's going to Google this? Yeah, you'll, somebody <laughs> will have to buzz us. <laughs> Shit. It's me. I had to buzz us. But let's backtrack real quick to make sure we get all the right credits here. The NCAA theme was composed by Bob Christensen. He's done a bunch of other work for television, including the ESPN on ABC theme. 
John Tesh did not compose the NCAA theme, nor did he compose the theme to Entertainment Tonight. He did famously compose Round Ball Rock, which is the beloved theme for the NBA on NBC. We've written a song uh, that we like to call Round Ball Rock. Now, it started as one of uh, David's poems here, but then it just grew into something bigger than both of us could ever imagine. Uh, it's me on keys and Dave singing. Can you believe this is our job? <laughs> All right, fire away. All right, ready to do this? Yes, I am. All right, two, three, four. And the Entertainment Tonight theme was actually composed by Michael Mark, who also won a 1977 Drama Desk Award for his role in the Broadway musical I Love My Wife. That's for you, TJ. That's right. Only here on the Untitled Beatles podcast can you find quality, useless information like this. Untitled Beatles podcast exclusive. exclusive. TJ didn't know that. By the way, yes, thank you for all your correspondences. And uh, we've been seeing y'all on either the, the Facebook or the, uh, what's the other one we're on now? Horse space. <laughs> Horse space. Horse, horse space. We're, horse and space. we're on Farmers Only, I think. We just got a profile there. <laughs> City folks just don't get it. And uh, we're also, we're on Discord now. This is new. We found a yeah. special shout out to At Wet Media, which I feel weird calling you by your username, A, because it's a kind of weird username. And B, I feel like I should know your name because we've interacted so much on Discord. <laughs> Yes. I know you only as wet media. Thank you for setting up the Discord. Maybe we'll throw a link out in the show notes so if people want to come join us, it's it's like an easier place to hang out than a Facebook. Yeah, it's groovy. Yeah, we've been having some good chats. Also with uh, with our listener, uh, she goes by the name Oathkeeper. Roxas. <laughs> but, but she's not an Oathkeeper. Not that kind of Oathkeeper. She's just a gamer. Uh, she's not just a gamer. She's a... She's a game. Protecting our freedoms is a game to you? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I thanks. So many people check in with us, which I love. I've not done Discord yet. Uh, Discord, while a huge compliment, is in the checkbox of like, fuck, I am the old dad. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I keep thinking like, well, you know, TikTok's a bridge too far. What am I going to do on Discord? <laughs> Yeah, I mean we're the oldsters on it, but it's 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 fun so far, and uh, yeah, keep Huge on compliment. liking and subscribing, and we'll see you out there on the roads. Ten four, big big daddy, gross, good buddy, good buddy, <laughs> big daddy. Yeah, there was a great record store on Diversity and Pine Grove in Chicago for many years called Big Daddy's. Mm. And I remember buying the Pickwick Live at the Star Club parts one and two. It was like early past masters. Nice. One cover was white, one cover was black. And I remember buying those at Big Daddy's in the cutout bin in the early 80s on Diversity and Pine Grove. Long defunct great Northside Chicago record store. There you go. You heard it here. Ex Beatle, Untitled Beatles exclusive. Untitled Beatles podcast exclusive. exclusive. Dead record stores. <laughs> we could go on and on and be so sad. We should do a whole record stores episode because in the Burbs, you probably didn't have quite as many as were downtown. Did you have like, were there favorites that were easily accessible for you guys? 
For me, yeah, I, w- I would go to this place in Palatine all the time, actually, which was uh, like, uh, you know, it was a drive. But I would also then just use it to drive around. And I remember driving by this castle and there was also this like punk rock graffiti area. Yeah. And that's where I bought all my like Danzig T-shirts and stuff like that. It was great. That was Sam Goody, right? <laughs> no, it was, it was an independent. I forget. <laughs> I forget what the hell it was called. It was in a strip mall. You know, it was like that. But that was one of them. Yeah, that's cool. I, you know, the only place that I ever shopped vinyl, because I was like so squarely in the CD age, but there was a shop on 45 in Mundelein called, I think it was called RJB. It might still be there. It was like a vintage jukebox shop. Oh, cool. And they had 45s of like current music for, you know, establishments that had old time 45 jukeboxes. So I remember like I had my dad's turntable and I remember getting the, you know, 45 single of... Shoot, was it Republica's Ready to Go? Do you guys know that dance pop? They just played like a Bulls game. Ready yeah. to go. Yeah. Yes, that one. So I, I that was the first <laughs> vinyl I bought. That's that's my journey to the Beatles. That's awesome. <laughs> Jock jams on 45. I love early 90s 45s. Like, it's fun. It costs like $50 on eBay to get a 45 of Come As You Are by Nirvana. Like, right. the early 90s 45s, because nobody bought them. It was all, you know, CDs or, in Tony's case, Kasingles <laughs> by Cameron Crowe. I did have the Kasingle. I did have the Kasingle of Smells Like Teen Spirit, which had Even In His Youth on it, which is a great uh, Nirvana B side. Yeah. Also, shout out to Record Swap out there in Naperville that would have dance parties after hours. They would lock the doors and uh, the manager, Kevin, would play some tunes. It was a good time, man. (laughs) Sounds like child abuse. (laughs) They'd lock the doors. Kevin would put on his music collection. We were, they he wasn't playing Gary Puckett or anything like the <laughs> deli this morning at the, in my neighborhood, I went to get a Bialy and a mishmash bagel mm-hmm. and they went from I'll get you by the Beatles, famous Beatles B-side right into Lady Willpower by Gary Puckett. Cool. Lady Let's do it. Round two. This is the Sweet 16, they call it. Speaking of Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. Speaking of Ringo. You walked out like a dream. Peaches and cream. Lips like strawberry wine. Can't do that one anymore, Ringo. You're beautiful. And you're... All right. This is a face-off. This is a real face-off. Billy Preston from the first seed against... Fourth seeded is 16th overall ranked Dick Lester, who oh, is alive. Oh, the dead guy? No, he's alive, we learned. Thank you, Casey. <laughs> what about You're the welcome. tennis airs we have lost for Richard Lester? <laughs> just to clarify for everybody, thank you for the praise, Jim, who called out that I got. I was able to correct the guys. Just to be clear, though, I didn't know that. If there's something that it sounds like I know better than Tony and TJ, it's merely because I have access to Google and they don't. Like, they have to talk. I'm not there when we record usually. That's true. So this is Google. It's not me, just to be clear. Okay. Our new sponsor, Google. (laughs) No. Ruining the world one search at a time. Keep your money. Get out of here. I don't want to do your dirty work. 
no more. So Billy Preston against uh, Richard Lester, uh, who directed Hard Day's Night, Help, How I Won the War. He worked with the Goons and uh, Billy Preston, who had his name featured on a, a Beatles single. Kind of the, uh, I would say, the savior of the Get Back project, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Uh, no question. I mean, we saw what Billy Preston's presence did, and we've heard it forever and ever and ever on the recordings. You know, Dick Lester did Superman 3, I think we said last time. Two. Superman 2. Did he do 2 and 3 or just 2? I think just 2. Okay. Uh, the best of the Superman films. Uh, with all due respect to Dick Lester, and, you know, Help obviously hasn't held up quite as well as A Hard Day's Night. It's not Dick Lester's fault. You couldn't reinvent what they did just by making Hard Day's Night a, a real kind of moment in their life. You couldn't do a second time. But A Hard Day's Night's crucial to the Beatles story. Without A Hard Day's Night, the Beatles are not as big because as much as Beatlemania had hit on the Ed Sullivan Show, Tony, I think A Hard Day's Night solidified them in the minds of non-screaming teenage fans and an older generation who saw this movie and a lot of the press as being a, a classic, right? So... He's responsible for the Beatles, uh, a second level of success in the States. I would agree with that. I would agree that, yeah, he helped make them more palatable to the older generation, show that they had some wit, show that they were more than just haircuts, you know, uh, or creepy crawly things or whatever, you know. Um, I will give him that. I will give him that. But I'm going to have to go with Billy Preston on this one. Yeah, I mean, we can try to joke around about this, but Dick Lester is essential. He's, I mean, we'll have to eventually maybe rank our all-time top 10. But yeah, I, I don't even think on this list Dick Lester's on, on our Rushmore. I, Billy Preston by a mile. Well, there you go. There you go. Settles that. All right. Next matchup. Third-seeded Yoko Ono against... Second seated Mal Evans. This All is right. a hard one. This is a hard one, man. All right. Yoko, she sang on a bunch of songs, right? She sang songs about John. She was the inspiration for Beatles songs. Mal Evans, he's been there since pretty much the beginning. Longtime friend. He contributed ideas and sound effects. Let me give you some, some Mal Evans things he did. He sang on Yellow Submarine. He played the organ on You Won't See Me. He played her. He plays that one note, right? Yes. And I just can't go on if you won't see me. And he gets a credit on Rubber Soul for doing so. I love that. You know? That cover, yeah. I mean, he's he's Alan Civil at this point. Harmonica on Mr. Kite. He's the guy counting on Day in the Life during the big swell up. responsible for the alarm clock. He played one of the final chords on the Day in the Life piano chord. I mean, 
Tambourine, Dear Prudence. Trumpet on Helter Skelter. He stirred a bucket of gravel on You Know My Name, look up the number. And of course, he played the anvil on Maxwell's Silverhand. Which Michael Lindsay Hogg tried to sabotage and make his anvil playing look incompetent. <laughs> it's Never true. forgive him. It's true. We have Peter Jackson to thank for, for writing that wrong. <laughs> so you've created an argument that would sway a lot of people to put Mal Evans above Yoko Ono. And certainly Mal Evans was part of the Beatles journey for a lot longer um, and was more universal to all four Beatles in ways that Yoko Ono was not. The tricky thing about Yoko is, while her presence on Beatles songs was less than Mal Evans, which is just a weird kind of quantification to make, um, (laughs) without Yoko, I don't think John's last years with the Beatles are as fertile and as meaningful. I think that Yoko encouraged John to not want to paint by numbers, despite some of the restlessness and unhappiness, because Paul was dominating for quite some time. All of a sudden now John meets Yoko and John's contributing songs that are just as if not more important than Paul McCartney's forays into the land of Pepper and Paul kind of creating Magical Mystery Tour and the like. So it's weird that Yoko's a three seed, Mal's a two seed, but I get it. And I think I'm voting for the upset here. I think Yoko Ono's more important to arguably the most important Beatle. Interesting. Interesting. And I, as you know, TJ, I am a Yoko defender. I, 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 do. I used to read that alt weekly. <laughs> Every, the only place Chicago you get the, the good theater listings is in the Yoko Defender. Yeah, I want to vote for Yoko, but I also want to vote for Mal. You know, there's going to be a book about him coming out next year, 2023. And I bet it's going to shed a lot of light on on how much he really did contribute to the Beatles overall. And I love Yoko. I love Yoko. I don't think she broke up the Beatles, but I'm going to vote for Mal Evans on this one. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. We yeah. reached a point where I'm taking Yoko's side. And again, that's just because of side two, a live piece in Toronto. I mean, my, arguably my favorite side of recorded music. Mal Evans also appeared in A Hard Day's Night. He's carrying an upright bass. In he's help, in all the movies, right? In Help, he's the confused yeah. swimmer in the channel. And uh, he's a magician in Magical Mystery Tour. And of course, he's in Get Back and Let It Be. He produced No Matter What by Badfinger. He produced New Day. Their best song. That's my favorite Badfinger song. Arguably, right? No matter what you are, I will always be with you. He also produced Keith Moon's record, Two Sides of the Moon, or Parts of It, which is a rough listen. (laughs) Keith Moon recorded that in a pool after he died. (laughs) And he's credited on All Things Must Pass and uh, Plastic Ono Band, Tea and Sympathy. Anyway, just putting out some more some more Mal love out there. Well, I'm fully unprepared to cast a tie-breaking vote in this. <laughs> Perfect for the show. <laughs> I mean, I think the core challenge we have, which is the core challenge of the entire bracket, is how do you define what are the criteria that we're actually measuring against, right? Like, what does it mean to be a, the fifth Beatle? Right. 
it is, it's an elusive, you know, I don't think there's any hard or fast rules on it. To me, it's like, what did you contribute to the Beatles? Right. That seems to be the thing. And so it's like, how do you, how do you weigh magnitude where maybe like Yoko's magnitude of contribution is enormous versus longevity of Amal Evans, who's kind of there throughout the time. One of the things I also admire about Mal Evans and kind of took away from the Get Back uh, documentary is that like, here's a guy who wants to get into music and doesn't like come in as like a guns blazing singer songwriter who's going to break himself. He, you know, starts in the mailroom, basically the the rock and roll equivalent of that, right? He's the roadie. He's learning from the best. And then by the time you get to Get Back, you see Paul bouncing lyrical ideas off of Mal. And there's something like, this is no slight against Yoko either, where it's like, I Yoko did not break up the Beatles. I've massively underestimated uh, her influence on some of the most important music that, the, that that group put out. But there's something about Mal that it's like, he started from the bottom and he was there from the beginning and he contributed in very small ways and very selflessly. And I think about that in terms of being a band member in the very Ringo and George, you know, uh, idea of that, of sort of being there to support the group. And whereas I do think Yoko, she never really had any commitment to the group or commitment was to John. And so I, I think I, I agreed with TJ. I was a little shocked that these were seated in this order, but I think, I think I have to go with Mal Evans. Wow. I, I, I know. So I know Mal's one. The one thing I want to say too, is for better or for worse, there's no Beatles quote unquote comeback without Yoko. It was Yoko after bearing the hatchet with Paul, was it at the Rock and Roll Hall of... Uh, no, not the Hall of Fame, because Paul didn't show up to that. It was... When the hell was it... Was it when Paul inducted John into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that she handed off the Free as a Bird tapes? What event was that? That's... I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When would that have been? Like, 93? Yeah, that would have been right around there. 93 is when they were... 93 and 94 is when, yeah, anthology was happening. 94 is when they were shooting it. There was an event. I, I'm going to go ahead and say it was when Paul inducted John in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm ready to be buzzed, and that's fine, because I you can't remember every fact. But I know that that's when Yoko <laughs> gave the can't. tapes for free. <laughs> exactly, I can't. So that, but that's important, too, right? Because there was a generation of Beatle fans in the mid-'90s for whom that was a, just a massive thing. The Beatles had a new single on the radio, the first since 1970, and that's because of Yoko. And I can't remember... Where did you rank those singles on your list of all-time great Beatles songs? <laughs> we weren't allowed. Oh, wait, I'm Tony's sorry. It wasn't rules. on there because those are non-canon. That's a good uh, argument, fair, TJ, okay, but fair. it's not canon. Totally well, fair. it was a double A. It was a double A. That's why we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> That's right. It was a double A side, yeah. too, so it didn't even show up on B side. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a solid argument. We're splitting hairs here, right? This whole exercise is like truly splitting hairs. And I just still feel inclined. I think Mal narrowly edges her out. If I may, as someone, again, we don't need to overdo it. I love Yoko. You know that. But when the Beatles are performing <laughs> feet in front of her, inches in front of her, and she's just like reading the paper and she looks so bored, that actually, that grated on me as someone who who loves her. <laughs> I just felt she was like showing a disrespect to this thing that was happening in front of her. Can you imagine? I mean, you don't want someone frothing at the mouth either, you know, but. 
She, she, Tony, she was checking out-of-town box scores before the internet. How do you think Yoko is going to find out whether the White Sox or Tigers won a nightcap? Well, and also she was reading up to make sure that all of her theater reviews were accurate and up-to-date in the Yoko Defender. You know, but also in her defense there is like there's a camera trained on her. This was like hours and hours and hours and hours. You yeah. think Mal was sitting there like... Waiting with bated breath, you know, throughout the, like he's scratching his ass off camera at the same time. Maybe, or constantly running errands, figuring out where he's going to get yeah, an anvil and, <laughs> you <laughs> know. I know we're going to move on from this. Can't argue with Mal Evans. I will say that the latent and obvious bigotry on this show is blinding the two of you and I've had it. <laughs> You know, you're not wrong, TJ. I'm also just like, three dudes uh, pick Mal Evans over Yoko. Yeah, that's the headline. Oh, well. Didn't see that coming. (laughs) Well, maybe if Yoko wasn't a chick, it might have turned out different. Like, yeah, I got Yoko. I got Yoko in this one. I never thought I'd say that. TJ will be on the right side of history, wrong side of the bracket, though. Sorry about that. (laughs) Did the bare naked ladies ever write a song about Mal Evans? (laughs) Don't blame it on Yoki. If I was John and you were Yoko, I would gladly give up musical genius just to have you as my very own personal Venus. Oh shit! I'm sorry that was introduced too late. If that had been in submitted as evidence, that could have been the tipping point. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next next matchup <laughs> in the seventh seat. It's Marsha Albert, the 15-year-old from Silver Springs, Maryland, not the D.C. area, who, who jump-started Beatlemania in the U.S. of A. when she requested I Want to Hold Your Hand for the first time to be played on U.S. Airwaves, December 17th, 1963, versus sixth-seated Mark Lewison. These two are actually ranked pretty close to each other, 21 for Mark Lewison overall and 28 for Marsha Albert. A little high. Not very scientific. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. I mean, so Mark Lewison, I'm currently reading, still reading, you know, because it's like a 600-page book. I'm on like page 300, but I'm loving it. It's a tune in, Mark Lewison, the early years. I'm into 1960 right now. I'm loving this book. And he also did the recording book. We covered this in the previous episode. But to me, he's kind of the premier, at least one of the top Beatle historians out there. Uh, I just... I like Have his... you read my work? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I listened to it. <laughs> You've not read my dissertation on why some Beatles eight tracks have the white shell and why other Beatles eight tracks have the black shell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm gonna. Be, I'm loving this book. I'm gonna vote for Mark Lewison. I say Mark Lewison over Marsha Albert. Okay. Here's what I would say. This book <laughs> was a massive, massive book for me. I'm holding up Beatles recording sessions with yeah. my bent covers. It's the hardcover book, but it's all oh. kind of ripped. This has like my grubby 15, 16 year old hands all over it. It's just covered in Doritos and Jergens. <laughs> Doritos and Jergens and Jergen flavored Doritos. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but Our new sponsor, Jergen-flavored <laughs> Doritos. Years ago, the best way with rough red hands was greasy cream and gloves overnight. Introducing today's way, Jergen-flavored Doritos brand tortilla chips. Helps problem hands overnight. I would say the one thing about Mark Lewison is, uh, does Paul McCartney have a song that goes like this? We're so sorry, Marsha Albert. <laughs> 
so sorry if we caused you any pain. <laughs> you're right. Again, you're right. Yeah, it, right. And uh, <laughs> and the presidents of the United States of America didn't write a song about Mark Lewison. So, <laughs> oh, what a great reference! Drop. Mark. foremost authority on the Beatles. Yeah, this one is ridiculous. Mark Lewison is the preeminent Beatles historian of all time. I don't know why he didn't write the liner notes for the recent reissues. It's been all Kevin Howlett. Yeah. And it's funny, There's I forgot there's a McCartney interview in the recording sessions book as part of the prologue. Yeah, yeah. That's where he talks about the paperback writer bass sound, I believe. Like, yes. that's where I first learned that. I bought that book when I was working overnights at a gas station in the summer right after I graduated high school. So I was this 18-year-old kid behind bulletproof glass, stocking cigarettes at four in the morning, uh, and occasionally filling up one of those big plastic, big gulp cups filled with malt liquor up (laughs) and reading about the Beatles all night long. And loving life in my, it was called Road Pilot. And we had to wear a smock that was orange, yellow, and brown and had had a little pilot on. <laughs> Ooh, was, did you get Jurgen's flavored Doritos on it? Because those are orange already. In the morning, your hands are smoother, prettier, more comfortable. Jurgen's Doritos. The crunch says Doritos. The flavor says cheese. Mm. Yeah, so Mark Lewison all the way, uh, his writings about the Beatles from the mid-80s onward are just the most important Beatles reading in terms of chronicling all the stuff that you can do. I agree. All right, so there you go, Mark Lewison. Thank you, Marsha Albert, for your time, your contribution. We should find her, man, get her on the program, and we should talk to her, see what she's up to. Okay, next up, here we go. This one might be hard, man. No. It's in the fourth seat, Peter Jackson, against first-seated Stu Sutcliffe, or as the Beatles like to call him, Stu Sutcliffe. So, Stu Cliff. (laughs) Oh, that was the rival cat to Garfield. (laughs) Garfield like lasagna. Stu Cliff. Stu Cliff liked those uh, those fish that you ate and they looked like combs at the end of it or whatever. <laughs> what was the, the it was like Stu Cliff, Stu Cliff, no neighborhood. That's it. <laughs> I love your man. Casey, how do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Well, Stu Sutcliffe, of course, the original bass player. Uh, Ish. Right. He could kind not of. play. I was going to say, man, if you you are so hard on Pete Best's uh, ability as a drummer, Stu Sutcliffe was like never in the right key. He never even wanted to be a bass player. They like cajoled him. They almost like John heavy handedly forced him to join the Beatles, I think, at Mona Best's uh, coffee club there. So he kind of reluctantly joined, but once he joined, he really loved the image, you know, and he looked like James Dean or this like uh, the Polish James Dean. There was an actor whose name I can't pronounce that he was more influenced by than James Dean. But oh, Dolph Sweet from Give Me a Break. <laughs> Is he Polish? Is he Polish? Dolph Sweet. 
The only Beatles podcast that references Dolph Sweet. Give me a break. I sure deserve it. Uh, Tony, are you thinking of his big new Sibilski? Yes. Yes. I almost definitely pronounced that wrong, but I did Google it. So it's a big Nev Sibilski. At that time in America, they were saying the Polish James Dean. Well, that's Stu, right? I mean, a lot of people know Stu as like the, I would say the original fifth Beatle. I think so, because as we mentioned in the previous episode, he actually was the fifth Beatle on stage when there was five of them and they were the Beatles, not the uh, Quarrymen or whatever. He helped name the band, too, with John. John says he came up with it in a dream, but there's also another account where Stu and John came up with it together and then ran it by the others. Uh, Stu actually wanted it to be spelled B-Tals, like A-L-S at the end. Uh, like the way Terry Hebert says it. Yeah. Breakfast with the Beatles. We love yes. you, Terry. Make Let's make it very clear. We're satirists and we love you. Oh, all of that. Yeah, we love Terry. And here it is, a Sergeant Sauerkraut's polka band doing Lucy in the Sky polka. Where else but Breakfast with the Beatles? Well, Stu's going up against like the one of the newer additions to this world of Fifth Beatle, Peter Jackson, director of the new hit Get Back. He gave us so much material. He gave us so much love. He really rearranged the narrative on the winter of discontent and all that. We are indebted as fans to this dude for all this new stuff that came out last year. I don't think this is close. I think if you're in Vegas, you put your money on Peter Jackson uh, when the odds first come out, because but Peter, Peter Jackson's contribution rivals, if not exceeds that of Dick Lester, given that it's not just about Peter Jackson's ability, because Peter Jackson didn't pull a Ron Howard. With all due respect to Ron Howard, and eight days a week was really, really fun, but didn't leave me feeling emotionally the way this film did. The length of this film the era in which it came out will always think of this movie as being a bit of a godsend during the pandemic. At least totally. most of us will. That's part. It's part of the time of this movie. It's like art that came out of the Second World War where you had this art really taking shape and being released during the pandemic. Peter Jackson, to me, when we draw this up in a couple of years, will probably be a one seed. I think he runs away with this. Stu Sutcliffe was, was one of John's best friends, his best friend from art college. Yeah. Astrid fell in love with Stu, and Astrid's a big part of the Beatles story with the beautiful photos that she took. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think what Peter Jackson did is a major artistic accomplishment in the Beatles universe that catapults him to instant fifth Beatle status over Stu Sutcliffe in a heartbeat for me. I'm going to go with you on that. I'm going to say Peter Jackson. Just thank you for that. Now, the question is on the Sgt. Pepper cover. Do we replace Stu Sutcliffe's picture with Peter Jackson? That's, you know. Or what the Beatles want to do and just replace Stu Sutcliffe with Gandhi. <laughs> All right. Peter Jackson makes it, makes it into the next round. Before we say goodbye to Stu Sutcliffe. Yes. Did Stu actually contribute to any records or was he out of the scene by the time they started uh, recording this music? He was gone. Yeah. I don't know if any, I'm, I'm reading, uh, there was some like practice session that exists uh, that I have never heard. And it's like 45 minutes and it is like shambolic. And it's like right when he's learning to play, you know, he spent, you know, he had a Hofner three, three, three bass that was just giant and he didn't know how to play, it, you know? <laughs> Also, Shambolic, my favorite Three Dog Night song. 
I thought that was in the music, man. <laughs> Trivia, it was in later revivals. If you like Three Dog Night and the American Musical Theater. I'm on the road to Shapoopy. Is that what we're doing here? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here comes that mashup. Now a woman who kissed on the very first date is usually a hussy. And a woman who kissed on the second time out is anything but fussy. But a woman who waits till the third time around, head in the clouds, feet on the ground. She's the girl he's glad he's found. She is Shapoopy. <laughs> All right. Next matchup. Uh, another first seat, Brian Epstein, ranked third overall against 14th ranked Michael Lindsay Hogg, the original director of the uh, the Get Back Project, later to be known as Let It Be. G. Willikers. Uh, this one's an easy one for me. Epstein, manager. He's got my vote. I love you, Michael Lindsay Hogg. Thank you for all the footage that you were able to give and record Peter Jackson. But, uh, I mean, I just, Brian Epstein believed in them from the start and never stopped believing in them. Yeah, I mean, Michael Lindsay Hogg, by the way, a lot of our listeners are always writing in and we love when people comment. But a lot of the comments I get are like, we listen to this for more obscure musical theater references. You know, it's I know mostly Tony makes him. But for this one, I would say there's an obscure song from Big River written about Michael Lindsay Hogg called How About a Hand for the Hog? Oh. Well, I always heard, but I ain't too sure, that a man's best friend is a mangy cur. I can favor the hog myself about a hand for the hog. Well, yeah. How about a hand for the hog on his way out? You got to give it to Epstein. Come on, man. Well, and couldn't you, argue, you. couldn't you argue that if Brian Epstein doesn't die, Michael Lindsay Hogg isn't even on this list? Wow. You could argue that. You could wow. argue that, but who knows? Because uh, Lindsay Hogg was doing Ready, Steady, Go during... You yeah. know, Epstein's lifetime. So that's right. He could have just been picked, you know, to do it still. Yeah. I mean, Brian Epstein, when we're done, we'll have to talk about who our Mount Rushmore is because that'll kind of assume are they all the one seeds or are there other people? There's a one couple one seeds here or one one seed that I don't know that I would agree with for my, my Mount Rushmore. But Brian Epstein's one of them, right? I mean, Brian Epstein, his belief in the Beatles and without Brian Epstein, they don't get to George Martin. Right. Yeah, he's integral to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and his story is great if you read that Lewison book. It's very interesting. He's a tortured man. I'll tell you what, man. He was tortured. A lot of tortured men in the Beatles' orbit. Billy Preston. We talked about Mal Evans. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people who were, you know, in some respects, the Beatles themselves. You know, Ringo having to get sober. A lot lot of torture, a lot of sadness in the Beatles' orbit. But yeah, I mean, Michael Lindsay Hogg, we talked about that. The Hey Jude video is wonderful. He's part of some really important Beatles moments. And without him, there is no get back movie. That said, Brian Epstein in a landslide. This one isn't even close. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you, Brian. John, where would you be today without Mr. Epstein? I don't know. Next up, it's uh, third seated Klaus Voorman against second seated. Neil Aspinall. It's a hard one. This actually, this one gave me some consternation. Yeah. Neil Aspinall, school friend of Paul and George. He later became their road manager, personal assistant. He fathered a child with Mona Best and maintained like a tight friendship with Pete Best simultaneously. (laughs) I mean, that is a feat, man. That is... (laughs) 
This happened with former basketball player Delonte West and LeBron James' mother. Are you doing a thing? <laughs> that was the rumor. It's a half thing. <laughs> it's, no, it's, yeah. It's a... Apparently, like, that's what broke up that Cavs team was that yeah. Delonte oh, West. Jeez, man. With LBJ's MOM. Slept with LeBron's mom? I don't think they had a child. And I know they didn't stay friends. Ooh. No. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about Yankee Panky in the last episode? I forget, but... That, that Tommy so. James and the Shondells tune. <laughs> My baby does the Yankee Panky. No, those two My pitchers. The two pitchers in the 70s. There were two pitchers that swapped wives. And it, it worked out for one and it didn't work out for another. <laughs> I, I don't. Who was that? Uh, I'd have to look it up. Stop. Here we go. An avant-garde wife swap between two Yankees pitchers, Mike Kekich and Fritz Peterson became public in March of 1973, just before the beginning of the regular season. So there you go. Yankee panky, man. Wow. <laughs> so that's Neil Aspinall. Neil Aspinall is Yankee panky. And Klaus Vorman is, I mean, he was a little bit because he dated Astrid, but then Astrid fell in love with Stu. So not quite Yankee panky, but there's a little triangle going on there. Yeah. He met the Beatles in Hamburg. You know, we talked about this in the last episode. He designed the Revolver cover plus the anthology album covers. He played on a lot of solo stuff. I love Klaus. So this is tricky because Klaus Vormann's impact transcended the Beatles breakup, and he is playing bass on some of the most important solo Beatles records ever recorded. He also designed the album cover for what most people would probably agree is the Beatles' greatest album. Remember, for 25 or 30 years, it was all Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. And I think people kind of realized, sure, Pepper's great, but She's Leaving Home is on it. Let's knock it down a peg <laughs> and uh, let's <laughs> slot Revolver up there. Um, yeah, Klaus Vormann's role is absolutely essential. I know Neil Aspinall's was too, but I'm just thinking about his bass lines on some very important solo Beatles albums. And I'm going with the ups. I'm taking Klaus over Neil. Wow. We man. Wow. Yeah. I love Klaus. I love his voice, like his calm. I love him in interviews. You know what I mean? I love his perspective on things, but Neil, man, Neil. I know. I know. Neil did so much work. There's a lot of things that we wouldn't have if it weren't for Neil. A lot of the, Pounding the pavement, all the work that you don't see, all the behind the scenes stuff. Neil's a behind the scenes guy. Running Apple. Yeah, running Apple. He's the executive producer of the anthology. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anthology is what got us through the goddamn 90s. Those actually the 90s were nice, but you know what I mean? Like it got us through like a whole decade of not having new Beatles stuff because it can't be done anymore. John's gone, uh, even though well, they, Tony <laughs> they gave us new stuff anyway. Oh, that's just it. And sorry to interrupt you, but here's another thing that is pro Neil. Neil had been trying to get some iteration of anthology made since the early 70s when yeah. they were working on a doc called The Long and Winding Road that right. never materialized. Neil Aspinall single-handedly, one of the, uh, that Peter Doggett book, You Never Give Me Your Money, it really drives home the point that anthology saved the finances of George Harrison and Ringo Starr in the 90s. After handmade films had, had just gone totally sideways for George. Right. And after Ringo hadn't had a commercial hit since 75. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. Neil Aspinall played Tambura on Within You Without You. He played harmonica on Mr. Kite along with... Uh... Mal Evans. He sang on Yellow Submarine along with Mal Evans, and he played percussion on Magical Mystery Tour. 
And George declared him a fifth Beatle at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony in 1988. So I'm, I'm going to have to vote for Neil Aspinall. I love you, Klaus. I fucking love you, Klaus. <laughs> but as a he's been there since the beginning, Neil. So I, I got I have to give it to Neil. And once again, before we let Casey be the tiebreaker, for the nine millionth time, I'm about the music, you're about the business. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm wearing that jacket with all the dollar signs on it right now. <laughs> that's why he reads all the ads. <laughs> I thought you were advertising for FreeCreditReport.com. FreeCreditReport.com, brought to you by the Untitled Beatles podcast. Get your FreeCredit.com report at FreeCreditReport.com. Comment. <laughs> what was that jingle? <laughs> That's freecreditreport.com. That was actually the jingle? Seven. You just had that one in your back pocket? Yeah, of course I think wrong key, though. I think the key is... Freecreditreport.com wow. You should have gone to freecreditreport.com I could have seen this coming at me like an atom bomb They monitor your credit and send you email alerts So you don't end up selling fish to tourists in t-shirts Offer applies with enrollment and triple advantage Casey, how do you handle this tiebreaker? Well, I think you teed it up pretty well the way I'm thinking about this one is I'm an advanced statistics kind of guy when it comes to basketball. And I think about it in terms of wins over replacement, right? So W-A-R, yeah. Yeah, Moneyball. you got to think about that. Oh, sorry. Wins above replacement. Thank you. And I got to say, like, if I think about if Klaus isn't there, what, he meets them in Hamburg, right? And he's like in their orbit forever. And then he's part of the, all of these iconic recordings, post-Beatles, obviously. I think you sub in another bass player. You don't you don't have all those same contributions. You you could maybe make the same argument for Neil Aspinall in terms of sort of a business figurehead and a leader of Apple Corps. But I feel like if Neil's not there, you maybe find another business savvy guy who could make anthology happen or gal, actually, importantly. Maybe you could have found a woman to run a corporation in the 60s. Oh, that's a fair point. That is a fair yeah. point. So I think with uh, wins above replacement, I have to give the edge to Klaus here and uh, in the favor of music as well. Wow, we. Wow. It's now, an upset. Now, I must ask, Casey, is this because that you sided with me on your last tiebreaker and now you're trying to side with TJ? Maybe, maybe that's what's influencing you. No, I like you. I like you. You're both my favorite host of the show. I've always made that clear. Yes, you have. Casey's never picked favorites as far as we know. As far as we know. TJ's my favorite. But we all know who but we all know who your real favorite is. Uh, my real favorite is um, Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> He's well, because he actually, as opposed to us, knows what he's talking about. He's a published author. <laughs> yes. We, Robert Rodriguez, we should do one of the best Beatle authors, and Robert Rodriguez would be a top seed for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next up, uh, we've got a couple more matchups here at the round two. It's Derek Taylor, second seed of Derek Taylor, the prefs officer for the Beatles and Apple, against sixth seeded, 23rd ranked Alan Williams, the Beatles' first manager back in the, the Liverpool days. Got him off to Hamburg and uh, was an early supporter of the, of, of the Fabs. Yeah. I don't think this one's close. Do you? No, I, I, I'm giving it to Derek myself. Oh, really? I didn't mean it that way. 
Oh, wow. He was around. George, this is another person that George said was a fifth Beatle at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm talking about Derek Taylor, not Alan Williams. Yes, but Derek Taylor wasn't a 65-year-old woman in the complete Beatles. <laughs> we had all these canard ships going over to the States, and a lot of the Liverpoolians worked on these ships. Uh, they were known as canard yanks. And they would bring all these fabulous records back, which nobody had except Liverpudlians. And the groups used to grab these records, all these good Gene Vincent, Eddie Cochran records, and they used to mine them. <laughs> Alan Williams is a diminutive man. He stands five foot three. And I learned that when he was like running the Jacaranda Club or whatever, he used to walk around in a black top hat to compensate for his height. And then he also had a black beard, too, that he grew out. So They used to call him Blackbeard. And that's, <laughs> Is that right? that's what Paul wrote the song about. Okay, Alan Williams famously in Complete Beatles. See, that's how I got to know Alan Williams, when he talked about Pete Best being, what did he say, what does he say, competent but not very good? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I forget. But yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, he couldn't do a drum roll And then they play a little drum roll It's obviously Derek Taylor for this Derek Taylor, who I confused with uh, Tony Barrow last week Who wrote all the back cover stuff for the British Beatles records uh, Obviously right. Derek Taylor didn't didn't write those So buzz me as you want to there uh, But yeah, Derek Taylor, who then went on I think only in doing research for this I'd forgotten that he was with the Beatles very briefly in the early years Because he made his home in L.A. Yeah you know, where he basically helped turn Good Vibrations and the Pet Sounds album into hits with the way he would kind of campaign for Brian Wilson as a genius. Yeah. Yeah. He coined the phrase pocket symphony to describe the Good Vibrations. Yeah, he was a man of, of words. He was also involved with the Beatles anthology book, which is to me, another essential read, like if you're a Beetlehead or whatever. It's a great read. It's huge. You have to like That's work heavy. out before you read it. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big heavy book. The, the, the downloadable version for your iPad is 118 gigs. <laughs> it's, it is one of those books, like if you're reading it in bed and it, it'll put like a mark on you, like wherever you're, you know, resting it on your person. Derek Taylor also is, he's... I love his attitude in anthology. He's just so regal and he's so well-spoken. And I didn't want him to close the shop. I wrote an impassioned open letter. Dear boys, you know, if you do this, and a lot of other hoo-ha. Because I dreaded to see the thing falling apart. Yeah, yeah, I got to go with Derek Taylor. All Derek Taylor and the dominoes. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, this is a hard one. This is the last round in this round two. Jimmy Nickel, the drummer who drummed for eight shows on the 64 World Tour while Ringo had his tonsils out against George Martin, the producer of the Beatles. This is hard, man. This is hard because Jimmy played in those eight shows, you know, and he had to learn all the songs. And sometimes he didn't do She Loves You right. And he grew to be very bitter and... You know, the Shub Dubs, Jimmy Nickel and the Shub Dubs never took off after the Beatles. I'm almost willing to give like a sympathy vote to Jimmy Nickel over um, this George Martin guy who just like, oh, pressed record and the Beatles did their magic, you know. 
Lots of bittersweet sympathy, and that's life. <laughs> Tea and sympathy, Mal Evans. All right, great. Jimmy Nichols got this one. All right, round <laughs> and, three. And, and token sympathy. Uh, Stones sing about that. Yeah. And, uh, I always thought they said Coke and sympathy. Me Doesn't too. it? Right? Doesn't it sound that way? Coke and sympathy. <laughs> I think he maybe is. It depends. Like he's I think there's he's he's so um like in the red on that mic that it could go either way on that. When you need a little coke and sympathy. That's just such a great stones tune. Yeah, agreed. And if you want it, you can dream on me. It's just a great, great tune. Let it bleed. Can Beatles fans and Stones fans, are we over Beatles? With all due respect to the Greg Cott, Jim DeRogatis book, which I bought, the whole Beatles versus Stones thing. Is that done? Has the pandemic put an end to that bullshit that, like, you can love both bands and still mock steel wheels? <laughs> <laughs> and press to play. Let's be fair, right? <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. One's just Paul. One's the actual Stones. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, I think I think as human beings, we should be over that. Obviously, even back then, you could like both groups. People did. You know, I, I also get I have a lot of friends that are more stones inclined than Beatles inclined. And like, I don't hold that against them or whatever. Yeah, I will say this. I was actually thinking about this today. I was thinking about the Ruddles and what a fun thing the Ruddles was. And I was like, could they have done that with the stones or the kinks or the who? And it's like, Maybe, but not as good. There's something about the Beatles that even their parodies are somehow amazing, you know, and funny. And I think that's all because their story is the richest, you know. Well, and the music's the most varied. It's it's not just the Stones. It's Todd Rundgren and Utopia doing a whole album to face the music that's Beatles inspired. You don't often hear of Stones inspired bands. You hear a ton of Beatlesque pop is a term. Stones-esque rock is not really a term. Yeah, I'm right. Fuck the Stones. And by the way, <laughs> without question, Wait, I think you're starting the war. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of Stones-style bands, like Royal Trucks or whatever, and even the Blues Explosion. Are they Stones-style bands, or are they just blues bands because That's the Stones were just white guys doing black? I don't know, man. Pussy Galore covered Exile, you know? So I don't know, man. Now, did we decide? Because I voted for Jimmy Nickel. Uh, oh, me too. <laughs> so, oh, great. So I don't have to weigh in on that one. Thank you, because I was not looking forward to that. I, I can't do it to George Martin. George Martin is the sound of the Beatles. Like George Martin is one of the most brilliant musicians and one of the most brilliant improvisers and one of the most brilliant minds and one of the most brilliant guardians. George Martin, to me... As of this moment, he is the fifth Beatle. I mean, I'm gonna have to be convinced otherwise we do this, but yeah, George Martin, uh, we love Jimmy Nickel. He is the Untitled Beatles podcast official Beatles drummer. If you look, remember early on we had people upset on Facebook that we have a, a picture on of John, Paul, George, and Jimmy. Oh, people, so people were, were mad like, about that. What is that? <laughs> So people are mad about, I didn't know that. I mean, I feel like that's our litmus test is like, if you dig that photo, you're probably going to like the podcast. <laughs> um, all right. No, if I, obviously these are bits. Yes. George Martin. I mean, come on. Uh, George is going to go a long way in this one. Um, but can we both agree George Michael over George Martin? I will be the one who loves you till the end of 
time. All right, that's round two. Uh, that round two was brought to you by Jurgens Flavored Doritos. They're not just for snacking anymore. Jurgens Flavored Doritos, eat them and creep. <laughs> Eat them outside of a window behind a bush. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Round Preferably Barbara. <laughs> We're never going to get real sponsors. <laughs> all right, all right. Round three, Billy Preston against Mal Evans. Come on. This is a gimme. I, I do have to think about it a little bit. I have to think about it because I love Mal, man, and I love Billy. But I love Mal so much. I do love Mal. He was gunned down by the cops in L.A. It's like, yeah. fuck. 76 right around then? 75, 76? When was that? I want to say, was it? Yeah, I think you're right. 76. Not to be gloomy, but uh, I just love that guy so. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I have, a, I have a place in my heart for Mal. I'll just put it that way. I suppose. Yeah, dude, me too. I mean, it's <laughs> Mal Evans. He's essential to the Beatles story, but we're talking about Billy Breston. I know. I know. He had lasers that could come out of his fingers. He saved the Sergeant Thank Pepper you, band. Marjorie Taylor Green. <laughs> yeah. I've got lasers out of my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> How come Charles Martin didn't add sound effects on the remix? <laughs> That's true. Um, all right. I've, I had to think about it. I just I just had to say my piece about Mal. I just want Mal to get the love he deserves, the, the hug he deserves. Watching him and get back warms my heart. But you're right. The superstar of the show is Billy Preston. And I'm, I'm not going to take that away from him. Billy Preston all the way. He also, We also lost him too soon, too. So, you know, thankfully he wasn't gunned down by the LAPD, but he died early nonetheless, too soon. So, uh I'm going to give it, I'm going to say Billy Preston. Got to be. It's no brainer. Casey thoughts there. Uh, no, I mean, Mal, you had your run, uh, well-deserved hard-earned run, but you ran into the buzzsaw. That's Billy Preston. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Okay. Next up. Better than running into an anvil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next matchup. Mark Lewison against Peter Jackson. This is a really hard one. This one is hard. Peter Jackson, a higher ranked seed. Peter Jackson, a four seed. Mark Lewis in a six seed. So the odds in Vegas would be for, to take Peter Jackson. As much as I complimented him and as much as I love the get back experience, Mark Lewison is just more important to my era of loving and learning about the Beatles and covered the whole wide swath, not just three weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough. No disrespect to Peter Jackson, but Mark Lewis over Peter Jackson. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Reading Tune In right now is like watching the 52-hour version of Get Back of just their early years. He's giving me so much information that is just wonderful. That's where I got that silly Alan Williams top hat info from. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I know how tall he is. So maybe if Peter Jackson had listed everyone's height in the movie, I would vote for him. But he didn't do that, so my vote goes to Mark Lewison. Yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs> Next up, round three, the Elite Eight. We've got Brian Epstein against Klaus Vormann. Oh, this is hard. This one's hard for you, huh? Yeah, just because of how, I mean, 
obviously Brian Epstein didn't live, you know, to see 68 and beyond. True. But those early years and guiding and shaping them, he was the number number one A or one B force along with George Martin. Whereas Klaus Vorman, obviously the cover of Revolver during um, Brian Epstein's lifetime, but it really wasn't until the Beatles broke up that Klaus Vorman was such a part of their lives. It's Brian Epstein, but by not as big of a mark as I thought it might be in my head. That's that's yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I have a lot of love for Klaus as well, but I have to give it to Brian on this one. Yeah. A Beatle fact, I know they don't talk about in the other Beatles podcast, but in the soap spinoff, Robert Guillaume led Benson. <laughs> yes. um, Robert Guillaume's character, Benson, used to yell the word Kraus because of the German maid. Oh. And I used to pretend that he was saying Klaus. Klaus, tell your people we need more meatballs. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. What a great song. <laughs> I like your I like your four on the floor bass version of that. <laughs> yeah, Klaus would be proud. <laughs> I mean, the Quincy Jones be. of mid eighties TV themes, Kla- and Kraus, Inga Svensson, the actress who played Kraus. Very good. I think that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> that's from all those TV guides you collected, man. That's why Dude, you know that shit. <laughs> no question. Two big chairs sitting side by side with a holy Bible. Wow. Well, that was a quick round three. We're on to the final four. The tension here on the Untitled Beatles podcast is mounting. Wait, wait, wait. We aren't on the final four yet. You forgot oh, to litigate fuck, already, Taylor versus George Martin. <laughs> I already made my vote. Skip I made my vote already and it moved on. <laughs> I like that. And Derek Taylor versus George Martin, just the game was forfeited. Derek Taylor went home crying. Should we do that? I forgot to mention George Martin versus Derek Taylor. We're still in round three, turns out. There are two minor figures in Beatle history, so you can be forgiven for not remembering all George Martin. Yeah, George Martin. I mean... That's why I don't know why you guys were fighting so hard over Derek Taylor, Alan Williams, because it's like, guys, you know what's going to happen next round, right? Like, what does it matter? I was in the moment. I was in the moment. (laughs) Okay, now we are on to round four. This is the final four. Oh, my Lord. There's so many fours happening right now. The Fab Four. But we're looking for a fifth. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Billy Preston, Mark Lewison, Brian Epstein, or George Martin? These are our final four fifth Beatle prospects. Does this seem right as a final four? At this point, can anybody argue against the four who've survived? Yes, I think you, I mean, this is the the shortcomings of the bracket as a formula is like, how do you put Peter Jackson there and not, sorry, Yoko, we just, Yoko got knocked down by Mal Evans. <laughs> but she got up Jackson. again, nothing's ever going <laughs> to make her down. <laughs> We're saying Billy Preston, Brian Epstein, George Martin, and the guy who did Lord of the Rings. No, no, Those Mark Lewison, Mark Lewison is in it, not Peter Jackson. Oh, shit. Why did I put Peter Jackson there? Oh, man, I have to scratch all that great audio. <laughs> Thanks a lot, 538. We can keep it. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's no. all going in there. We're going to put an echo on it. We're saying Billy Preston, Brian Epstein, George Martin, and the guy who did Lord of the Rings. All right. Okay, round four. Can we do it? Let's, let's, let's see. It's Billy Preston against Mark Lewison. Yeah, man. 
the guy who had his uh, name on the Beatle records or the guy who's written proficiently and with great detail and enlightened us all for all of their years, not just 1969. This is still hard for me. It'd be weird. It would be weird for Mark Lewis and to beat Billy Preston, but I mean, in a fight, (laughs) (laughs) I'm finding myself surprised that I'm having a hard time with this decision. It should be Billy Preston, but I just, I just think the overall contribution Mark Lewis has made to the entire career is hard for me to, to ignore. Here's the thing. Here's how I boil it down. Without Billy Preston, 10% of what Mark Lewison has written about and documented would not exist. Billy Preston is a catalyst for the story that Mark Lewison has documented. For that reason alone, I'm going with Billy Preston. 10% though. So that means 90%. That's an A minus or a B plus if it's, you know, honors class, which he said he is an honors class, right? Yeah. So B plus versus, hmm. yeah. While Tony grades this bit, we'll be right back. <laughs> I'm legitimately thinking. I understand you love history. You know, you're you're the dinosaurs were here 200 years ago guy, and I get all that. <laughs> I get you put the creationism in chaos and creation. There's a fine line. Um, but you, uh, uh, come on, man. It's, it's Billy Preston. Think, think about his licks. Think about what he added. Think about not just the energy, but the musicality and think what he, my Klaus Vorman uh, argument, look what Billy Preston contributed to two of the greatest solo Beatles albums and two of the greatest rock albums ever. He does play on like my top songs. I agree. I agree. And he was the superstar of get back. I mean, honestly, if he hadn't shown up, it wouldn't have been as exciting, as joyful. There would have been less dazzle and less razzle. Let's let's never forget razzle. Um, <laughs> you can't dazzle without your razzle. Well, you've convinced me. Um, read Mark Lewison's Tune In and read that uh, Beatles recording session book. I'm giving it to Billy Preston. You have to. Casey? I have nothing to add. You're... <laughs> Absolutely correct. Yeah. See? (laughs) All right. The final four continues. All right. So that means Billy Preston is into the championship. Congratulations, all you Billy Preston fans out there. They're all cheering at home. And I'm sorry, Mark Lewis and fans. Maybe next year. Maybe 2023. We'll see. Yeah. When's volume two coming out? 2030? Half the fans are going to be dead by the time you finish part three, my guy. Yeah. He needs to, yeah, he does need to, you need to step it up on the book because, dude, you only have a few more years left. All right, so we've got Brian Epstein, the manager, the guy who got them around the world, the guy who really made them. He got the toilet seats off their heads and put them into suits and made them palatable for mom and dad and teenagers without losing their cool. Brian Epstein versus George Martin, the man who created their sound, the, the man who helped inspire them to groundbreaking lengths of making music and sounds that had never been heard before in pop music. Now, these two, yeah, these are some two heavy hitters, but I think I know where my vote's going. Yeah, these are two of the most important figures in in all Beatle history, obviously. You know, in fairness to Brian Epstein, he didn't produce Sister Golden Hair. I mean... 
God bless you, Ventura Highway. But that America stuff, that's like, hey, let's add some energy to a Seals and Crofts record. Basically <laughs> what that was. Um, it's very polished, too polished for you. That, that America is too polished for you, isn't it? It might be a slightly polished for me. Although, I mean, yeah. Magic, when that song, You Can Do Magic, came out in 82, that was a favorite, a favorite of mine on the radio. Yeah, one of the hits of 82 on Capitol. I mean, Brian Epstein is so important. I love that the Beatles had a Jewish figure in their lives. It's yeah. actually a cool part of the Beatles story. Totally. That doesn't really get talked about all that often. But a gay British guy yeah. helped guide generations of pop culture for some of their most important years, their touring years, their Ron Howard years, as we now call it <laughs> in the industry. Yeah. And it should also like his sexuality should also be mentioned, too. Like the Beatles all knew he was gay. And they were cool with it. They were woke about it or whatever in 1960, you know, when they met. Damn it. I hate woke. So I got to hate the Beatles. Great. Woke makes me so have mad. Fun, have fun with that hate. Okay. Yippee. <laughs> Hope you're happy. Remember Freedom Fries? Remember all the Of course I do. Yeah. Um, I was working at Trader Joe's back then. It was stupid. <laughs> they sell sweet potato Freedom Fries. <laughs> That's kind of fairly priced too. Freedom Fries and friends in the sky. I think clearly it's got to go to George Martin because Brian Epstein shaped the band. George Martin helped shape the music that made the band who they were. I, I will always say George Martin's ability to say yes and is without question among the great leadership roles in pop culture history. What George Martin did for them by respecting them, respecting their humor and their talent I know the Ruddles joke, Brian Epstein respected their trousers, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's got to be George Martin. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I have to go with George Martin. Yeah. Because I listen to the records a lot more than I watch the the tours and, and all that, but not to take away from what Brian did for them. He did amazing things for them, but yeah, once they stopped touring, he was a little lost. And unfortunately that's probably what led to his early demise, but he was a dramatic fellow. Nonetheless, and he was talking about suicide back in the fifties when he wanted to be an actor, you know, and his family was like, what? No, run the store, you know? <laughs> and, you know, he was a dramatic dude and, uh, you know, we don't know if it was suicide, but he was a depressed guy a lot of the time. And he had a proclivity for, for the drink and for the drugs. And, uh, unfortunately we lost him too soon. And, George Martin, you know, with the exception of Let It Be, was able to uh, give us these records that we're still listening to today and loving and obsessing over. We're going in the studio. George Martin might not even know what we were going to come up with. Yeah. We'd come up with it, and then by knocking it around, we'd have a Beatle record rather than just this little song that we'd come in with. All right, we're down to it. It's the championship. Oh, my God, we are here. Esteemed guests... It is the fifth Beatle countdown to number one. <laughs> it's the final countdown. I can't believe we're here. All right. It's down to Billy Preston, the inimitable secret star of the Get Back film, and George Martin, their longtime producer. George Martin, Billy Preston. Billy Preston, George Martin. What do we think? 
next week. <laughs> Untitled Beatles Pub. 90 minutes all about this. <laughs> I mean, I love the way you set the brackets up, Tony, because this is what it had to be. Anything short of Billy Preston versus George Martin would have been criminal. Uh, maybe Brian Epstein versus George Martin for the final two. But we're, yeah. to me, the, the the three most important figures in Beatle history, however you want to rank them, would be George Martin and Billy Preston and Brian Epstein. So we we basically got it right, I think. Look, Billy Preston, I cannot praise him enough. I love his solo stuff. Some of the stuff he did for A&M. They just reissued that Capitol album, Encouraging Words. Just got a nice little vinyl repress. He's got some great songs. He had a bunch of hits post-Apple, Nothing From Nothing. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite of his. Yeah. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You gotta have something if you want to be with me. And Will It Go Round in Circles, I think, were post-Apple releases. So he did have a career outside of the Beatles' orbit for sure. I take nothing from Billy Preston, but if we're talking about the Beatles from start to finish, George Martin is the definitive fifth Beatle in my eyes. And I'm going to have to agree with you, sir. Yeah, yeah. And it's just longevity. They met Billy back in the early days, but they rekindled their friendship, whatever that was, nine years later, something like that. So I have to give it for the longevity. George Martin was there, you know, and it's 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 ironic that George Martin wasn't he was there peripherally when Billy was there. Yeah. That's what's funny is that he didn't have his full on hands on. They didn't overlap so much. Mm-mm. That's what's really interesting about this. So Billy Preston is almost like that little bridge, you know, where the boards are missing in the bridge. Yeah, the, the lot, lot of boards missing on that 86 Billy Joel release. <laughs> Yeah, I have to give it to George Martin. Yeah, I love you, Billy. But George Martin, to me, was the most important person that was not one of the fab four. I think he's the fabest fifth. Casey, as someone who came slightly newer to the Beatles, do you agree with this assessment? Like, is your somewhat less fanatical fandom agree with that take? I think it wouldn't have a year ago, or maybe two years ago. It wouldn't have pre-Untitled Beatles podcast. I think as a lay Beatles fan, I don't know George Martin's contributions or how deep they run. You know, you kind of like know the name and you hear people say he's the fifth Beatle, but you don't really understand how much of, you know, it is Lennon and McCartney doing the bulk of the songwriting, but like the arrangement, the orchestration, that's what a lot of those iconic recordings come down to. And I think, you know, most lay people don't understand how much a recording is actually the product of a deep collaboration beyond just the people behind the mics. So I think I would have said Billy Preston before this because I see his name on Let It Be and I see him in the Let It Be recording sessions and I hear him on the organ and I think about how instrumental that is to the evolution of the Beatles sound. And I don't know how much George Martin actually was there. He was the original evolution of the Beatles sound. Um, but I think you're right. I think after after three hours of recording, this was actually the, the main conversation we all needed to have from the jump. And I think you you came out right. Could I request that we cut to the moment of George Martin rocking the fuck out on the piano during rock and roll music? I know not one of Tony's favorite covers, but that's a song where George Martin is the best performer on that tune. So keep a rock on that piano. That's why I go to rock and- 
playing such a good 50s boogie-woogie rock and roll style with the glissandos and kind of pounding those eighth notes. I mean, yeah, he contributed to more than just the Beatles sound. He's he's part of the Beatles sound from beginning to end. Yeah, like John Lennon's like, hey, George, make my guitar sound like an orange. And he has to <laughs> figure out what that means. I mean, he taught us a lot, and I'm sure we taught him a lot by our, our sort of primitive musical ability, which is all I have still. You know, I still have to have something to translate what I'm trying to say all the time. That takes an artist, that takes an artistic mind to wrap yourself around such an adventurous request. Well, and could you imagine like Lennon and McCartney trying to arrange strings for their songs they just be like uh do doodly do something something like george martin was also this like presence who could apply sort of craft on top of the raw talent that's a great point and paul would often sing the parts he wanted whereas john Mm -hmm. would be more abstract and to tony's point like they sound like an orange you know or make make good night sound like a disney movie yeah you know whereas paul would sing his parts yeah like a yeah so, but George Martin understood both of them. And by the way, his orchestration on two George Harrison tunes on Abbey Road on something and on uh, Here Comes the Sun is incredible. One could argue that what George Martin, his, the last thing he did for the Beatles by putting strings on the acoustic take of All My Guitar Gently Weeps on the Love soundtrack created a separate version of a classic song that didn't exist other than anthology would just spare George playing guitar and the light organ behind it. But George Martin's beautiful orchestration for that, the last thing he did for the Beatles, is haunting and lovely. This song is such a tender song for George, and George isn't with us anymore. And it's very, my responsibility in adding music to, to this, I, was, I weighed very heavily on me. I don't know why nobody told you how to unfold your love I don't know how someone controlled you they bought and sold you George also orchestrated Grow Old With Me for the John Lennon anthology that was unadorned on Milk and Honey. George Martin did a score for that. You know, it's weird to me that George Martin could do the scoring for While My Guitar Gently Weeps and Grow Old With Me, but couldn't do Real Love and Free as a Bird. That's always a little weird to me. I think that was a George power play after the success of the Wilburys and Cloud Nine. It's strange that there's no George Martin involvement in the Threedles, but maybe that's for the best, too. Yeah. That's true, man. That is true. Well, he won it, man. He he won it. He is the fifth Beatle in the year 2022. He still has the title. <laughs> in one shining moment, George Martin won the dance. One shining moment, Dorito Jurgens on your pants. They're on your pants and in your pants. Everywhere pants are Jurgens Doritos. You got Cool Ranch Fingies. Oh, Cool Ranch Fingies, you guys. It's the Untitled Beatles podcast. Thank you, our esteemed producer, Casey Baker. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard or didn't like, regardless, 
subscribe to us and write us a review. Uh, if you hated us, write us a good review. Say like, lie, say how much you loved us. We love you. You should love us. That's how radio works. That's how podcasts work. That's how the internet works. That's how life works now. We're all on the internet. We're all on the internet right now. You've got to get on the internet. It's the newest, greatest thing. Ladies and gentlemen and esteemed guests. <laughs> Do it. Tony's AOL account. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe.